Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. We're going to do it differently. So we'll probably do it essentially virtually uh, where um, all of us will be in secure places at home as we're obstructed and we'll be operating uh, on with technology and in a different way than we ever had before. But that's what we're all doing. So we're going to get, like get a virtual handshake with the players and you? or Yeah, you might get a virtual <laughs> hug because I think a virtual hug would still work, right? <laughs> we like to call it physical distancing, not social distancing. Brent, I have an idea, man. What you got? You know, like, when you talk about football, you talk about traditions, you talk about family, you talk about camaraderie, and obviously we're going through a tough time right now with the pandemic and, um, you know, COVID-19 and the drafts I could be in Vegas. You're missing out on your gambling and everything. But I say <laughs> that we all unite as football fans. And when Roger Goodell makes his first appearance, you know, on the, the Skype or the Zoom or whatever it's going to be on TV, we all step outside as football fans and collectively, we all boo that man as loud as we can. And maybe if we boo him loud enough, he'll be able to hear us in New York, wherever he is. Not a bad idea. It's, it's going to be a worldwide booing of Roger Goodell. You know, it's funny you bring up like that kind of visual of outside, yeah. you know. And, and maybe it feels this way up north. Mm-hmm. But this whole thing, I've thought about that several times. I'm like... When we go back to sports and normal life and school and work and the way everybody does it and there's traffic jams on the highways and all that again, yeah. that that day that it's lifted, mm-hmm. because see, you got to remember, too, I feel like it's an all or nothing thing. A lot of people feel like it's going to be gradual, but I, I'm kind of on record as saying I think it'll be all or nothing. And so I'm in my, I had this visual like it's almost like a movie, right, where you, everybody opens their do- door and w- walks out of their house at the same time. And it's like, ta-da! Yeah, you yeah, know, like yeah. that that movie I'm scene. I'm walking on sunshine. <laughs> oh, yeah. But the funny thing is, like a lot of people are kind of outside in their neighborhoods oh, and yeah. their driveways. At least where we are. Like again, it was snowing in Wisconsin it yesterday. Was snowing yesterday, so, in Wisconsin. I I don't thoughts and prayers to Wisconsin. So I I guess it's not going to be like that. No, but it no, almost no, no. feels like the opening up will kind of have that uh, that visualization that we've all been in this bubble. Yeah. And then we, boom, come out of the bubble, it, which is kind of funny that we were talking about Tiger Woods, mm-hmm. because in the last couple of years, when he would get in contention or when he would do something fun and it looked like he was, I, I think it was the, the Open Championship. And this is the way I described the Open Championship with Twitter now and the way everybody felt. You had people from all walks of life tuned in to see Tiger mm-hmm. in the Open Championship. Now, he didn't win. But he was in contention that one time he had the lead on Sunday. And so I think it was that tournament where I, I, I felt like we were back in like the 1920s or 30s. And, you know, like the movies where like the newspaper boy <laughs> runs down the street and says like, extra, you know, extra, read all extra, about it. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, you know, because nobody knew like the telegram and all that stuff. Well, so they kind of like and then people would start flooding out the streets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it felt like when Tiger 
got back in contention a couple years ago, and I want to say it was the Open Championship, but you get what I'm saying. When he started playing better, it's like, whoa, this guy might win again. Mm -hmm. It was like everybody was like that extra, extra guy was running down the street. Instead, we're all doing it on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, It was fascinating to me. So it kind of goes hand in hand with that visualization of, well, you booing. Roger well, I mean, Goodell. Yeah, man. It's like, you know, it's it's as tale as old as time. It's a tradition like nothing else in football. Like, you, you got to boo that, man. It's just it's how the draft works. And I find it funny, too, because, like, you know, before, you know, Adam Silver, there was David Stern. And David Stern got booed as well. And, like, props to Adam Silver because... That guy's just cool, man, right? Like he, I think he does a lot of great things for the for the game of, of basketball, and people actually cheered him when he first debuted. But speaking of like going outside and everything, do you want to hear the most Wisconsin thing ever that's taking place right now? I do. So every Saturday at 3 p.m., every Wisconsin station on the radio, they, they it's all like set up where at the same time they all play House of Pain jump around, and everyone's supposed to like go outside and do the <laughs> jump around. So Wisconsin. That's awesome. So Wisconsin. Are people doing it? I don't know. No, I, you know, to tell you the truth, I haven't seen anybody on Facebook post it, so no, no one's doing it. Uh, maybe they're not. So uh, Wisconsin, though. Yeah, that's at least they're trying. You know, yeah, they're everybody's trying, trying to yeah, a make an attempt. There are some great ones going. I mean, some people are so creative. Did mm-hmm. you see the? Uh, if you haven't seen this one, there's two that I really liked. Okay. And by the way, you know how? Uh, remember when Jason Fitz said I got uh, liked by um, who was the guy on the, the uh, chop? Ted Allen. Ted Allen. Yeah. And uh, who actually retweeted us too after yeah. I tweeted out? Yep. Uh, I retweeted ice T the other day didn't see him who had they, this is a classic one you okay. go find the 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 video on twitter where the guy it looks like he's in a plane oh he's by the washing and machine, he's by yeah, the washing yeah, machine. i've seen that one it's, yeah, yeah, yeah it's awesome oh, like, so creative so good like That's, so so good well, and i i retweeted it and ice T liked it Nice. Yeah. So okay. I, now, see, the kids are into watching like Chicago PD and all these sure, movies right sure. now. I said, "Hey, guess who uh, liked my tweet?" Ice T. Like, no way. Ice T. Liked yourself, Brent. That, I'm not gonna lie, man. That, 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 that's a big deal. I mean, it's I that, maybe we get him on the show. Are we yeah, friends now. Yeah, not too bad. I mean, if it was Ice Cube, I would have been a little more impressed. But Ice T. Still legit. Still legit. Nevertheless, very cool. Uh, that was a good one. Yeah. And then, if you haven't seen the one shining moment. By the guy in like his own house. Coos, have you seen this? You gotta see it. You go look it up. I don't know if it was just a Facebook thing. I saw yeah. it on Facebook. Sure. Uh, but go look up the guy who does one shining moment, and he should actually get an Emmy for it. Like the amount of work that went into this, with different teams, with the signage behind it. Seriously. So if you have time this weekend, teams, I'm, I'm confused though. Like he's singing it, or he's like no, no, he's he, the teams. He's he, playing. He's playing on a Nerf hoop. <laughs> And so he plays as like I don't know if he plays as all sixty eight teams, sixty four teams, but he plays like he's got jerseys, he's got all this stuff. It's oh, classic, awesome. man. Okay, I'll check you that one do out it. for sure. Yeah, uh, absolutely. You, you, that one was really good. You're gonna make a note of it right now. Like I can't believe the guy even did it so quickly. I, it, it looks like it would have taken forever. Mm-hmm. Maybe he has a lot of time on his hands right now. There you go. All right, a couple quick things before we get to uh, uh, Fins Up Friday in Jacksonville University. We'll celebrate them. Uh, want to remind folks, uh, and I want to continue to do this. That we are having a virtual food drive uh, for feeding Northeast Florida with our radio stations here at the Cox Media Group and also our TV stations, CBS 47 and Fox 30. So there's a lot of different ways that you can help. The, the most direct way from our standpoint, if you're listening to our shows, go to ESPN690.com. And anywhere from $5 to $500 to however 
you can help if you can't help. Uh, we are asking uh, that you participate in our virtual food drive if you can uh, during these times uh, to benefit uh, feeding Northeast Florida so they can help feed everybody that needs a meal uh, during these times. So ESPN690.com, the place to go for that. And uh, once again, we appreciate all the generosity and, and everybody helping their neighbors during these uh, difficult times. We are uh, obviously also trying to talk sports and, and keep that momentum going. Mm-hmm. We'll do it so uh, on the local side in just a bit with JU. Uh, but a couple quick topics on the national side. The XFL does go away. AAF had gone away. XFL, were they going to make it without this? I understand why they're shutting down now because of this. Yeah. Were they going to make it or were they probably destined for this anyway? Listen, I don't know how the ratings did overall. You know those fat, those last couple of weeks that they were, you know, actually playing football. But comparing it to the AAF, like I never watched the AAF and thought, oh wow, th- th- this is like this is changing the game. Like the NFL should take note. Now the AAF, I mean, for the first couple of weeks, it was okay. It was you know pretty entertaining, and I knew some guys that were playing, so that helped me out a little bit in watching it. But like the XFL, how many times did we go, you know what, that's not a bad idea. The NFL should take note. You know what, the, this whole replay booth kind of thing, where were the guys going through it, that's not a bad idea. The NFL should take note. You know what, when, when the referee made a mistake, they actually went on Twitter and then acknowledged it and said they were sorry. You know what, the NFL, they should take note. So I found myself on multiple occasions you know, comparing the NFL to the XFL and saying, you know what, the NFL could learn something because the XFL is doing a pretty good job in some aspects of the game. Do I think they would have made it? They would have survived definitely through the first season. Um, and I think knowing Vince McMahon, if he had a little momentum rolling, you know, Vince McMahon's never got that wants to, you know, admit that he lost or like admit that it was a bad business venture, obviously. Obviously, with, with this COVID-19 thing, I mean, you know, all bets were off. But I think that if the XFL would have made it through the first year, I think Vince would have kept it rolling. Yeah, interesting to me. I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. I, I, I guess for them to shut down and you, you got to in something like that venture, you got to be careful in these times. You're going to lose a whole season. They don't have the equity to be able to do that. Probably. I mean, could they have the backing? Yes, but they're going to really lose a lot of money in that deal. Just maybe not a smart business decision. What I'm interested in is now because of the circumstances of the C. I I thought the AAF was doing some good things, too. I thought the XFL was doing some good things with bigger backing, probably, and a guy that was willing to take more of a chance and maybe stick through it mm-hmm. in Vince McMahon than the, than the AAF was because they shut their doors, bam, like that. Have we seen the end of the spring stuff for the foreseeable future? I mean, I like the idea of it. This developmental league, this extra chance for others who can't make it in the NFL with 53-man rosters. There's only so many positions. I didn't mind the concept. I don't know if it was going to be a big hit, but I like the concept. And here we are. It didn't work. Two of them shut down. I didn't like the idea of two of them to begin with, but two of them shut down. I would say we won't even get another run at this for at least a decade or more. Ooh, a decade or more? I don't know about that. Yeah, I mean, look, at you still have Canada. I mean, you know, there's the CFL. Um, what's the Reno League looking like? Is that... Well, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, we, we don't know right now. I don't okay. know, but it also doesn't seem to fit the same. You know, well, no, it's I, like, I, understandably, I get your question. Uh, like, like minor league baseball is a, it, it builds toward the big leagues and well, players, then, but it also feels like a different product. You know sure. what I mean? Yeah, and I, I think arena you. ball is like that to me. Okay, then let me ask this question: Where does the CFL stand in that then? 
again. They are a league that's been around for such a long time and is popular up there. I would imagine they have some of the dollars to be able to withstand. Okay. You know, I think it's pretty popular up there. Yeah. I don't know the dollars but, involved, but I would say you're talking about a starter up thing in XFL that just couldn't even gain any momentum, didn't have a chance to. Yeah. But my question to you is like, how, how do you perceive the CFL? Is it like the minor leagues? No. Or no, it's its, its own separate entity. Yeah. I, th- okay. I perceive this spring stuff as the best chance as a developmental league to the NFL. Okay. And now we don't have it. And now yeah. a missed opportunity. I don't know if it would have been like that, but look, P.J. Walker got signed. Sure. There were about four or five guys, I think, well, that got signed. And the same thing with the AAF, too. So it was working, right? Where if these leagues didn't come around, who knows what P.J. Walker would be right now? You know, yeah. like it, it gave them an opportunity to showcase their skills. So from that perspective, one could argue... Well, it worked because wasn't that the goal? Wasn't the goal to showcase new talent, get people hyped about new names, and then you know if that talent goes to the NFL? Well, then guess what? It works. So I do think there will be something else, whether – and this is the idea I think the NFL should come up with. The NFL should put something on. I, I don't know what it is, but – you know, you're 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 a big fan of making money, obviously, if you're Roger Goodell. Well, then capitalize on the springtime as well, you know, and come up with some minor Something. league system where, you know, whether – I don't even know how to – if it's like a seven-on-seven thing, whatever it is, but, like, people will tune in, man. You know, and maybe the numbers will be, you know, bad at first, but if you can cultivate your own product in the NFL and have a spring thing, I don't see what's wrong with that. No, uh, I, I just don't know if now we'll get another shot at it. The problem with the NFL doing this because they stay relevant regardless. They got free True. agency, got NFL draft. They don't need more football yeah. to stay relevant. They haven't wanted to do it. Could they do it? Absolutely. The question is, would they have backed one of these one along the way if it had gotten to two, three, four years down the road? That's the only way I see it actually working. You know, like you said, in 10 years, you won't see another spring league football thing. And I probably agree with you here, unless the NFL takes initiative and steps in, which, like you said, why should they? But I, it's hard to see another guy trying to – I mean, if Vince McMahon can't do it, Brent, for as much money he has, who's going to do it then? You yeah. Because well, it costs a lot of it, money. And what we'll never know is how much of this pandemic impacted that. Exactly. And it might be a 30 for 30 down the road. Yeah. Like, could it have made it? Was it on track to make it? What would have been? What could have been? I think it will always be that kind. Nobody will ever have a concrete answer to it. Mm-hmm. I think it will be that kind of question. going to ask it a little bit. Uh, are they, Is the NFL going to get this right? Does the NFL get most things right in terms of the draft, the virtual draft? Roger Goodell, you heard him on our on, uh, when we came back from break. Yeah. And we'll have more Roger Goodell sound on the draft and how they're going to execute it. Uh, and I have a couple of thoughts on that, so we'll get to it in a bit. But it is Fins Up Friday here on Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. And we We'll have guests throughout the afternoon here on a Friday uh, from Jacksonville University. They reside on the campus over there in Arlington. And right now it's a quiet campus. We welcome in the athletic director of the JU Dolphins, Alex Ricker-Gilbert. Alex, hope your family's doing well and everybody's doing well over there. Uh, Strange times, my friend. How are you guys? Thanks for having me on. It is is very strange. I I think that might be putting it lightly. Uh, But we are doing fine and i am at my house set up in a in an office upstairs and um trying to you know take each day as it comes yeah hopefully this helps us all in our tax write-offs in terms of using the home office <laughs> i just talking. thought about that as alex was saying it, I like it. we I like have it, reinvented man. our homes absolutely <laughs> so not, no doubt about I it i think you have another career as a cpa <laughs> my friend that's a good idea <laughs> maybe How, what have you driven by campus at all i mean is it eerie that 
you're supposed to be playing baseball and softball and track and field and all the sport, sports and and it's supposed to be bustling in the spring with flowers blooming and and seniors excited because they're about to graduate and get a diploma and it's got to be strange for a person in your profession to not see or feel or hear any of that yeah of course never see anything like it hope to meet hope to never see anything like it again um I've been to campus once or twice to sign a few contracts and things, but um, have, have tried to stay away uh, as much as possible, obviously, with the stay-at-home order, and we're trying to practice what we preach to our students and our staff and our coaches. So, But, but as far as practically speaking and professionally speaking, it's, uh, it's pretty surreal. It's pretty surreal. I was talking to my friend um, Troy Austin, who's a, a senior administrator at Duke, and we were we were on the phone yesterday on on April 9th, and uh, a, a month prior, uh, on on March 9th, I was in Durham watching our men's lacrosse team play play Duke up there, and we were having dinner. And I said, never would I believe a, a, a month ago when we were having dinner that we'd be having this conversation about uh, the landscape of college athletics here on April 9th. So it's pretty crazy to, to think about what's happened over the last 30 days. Alex, obviously there's a lot of seniors now that don't get to enjoy their senior year, um, you know, of spring sports. And, you know, we, we use the term s- super seniors where some people can come back if they want to. I guess my question to you is, like, how, how, how have those conversations gone? I mean, is there a pretty good idea of how many seniors will be coming back to get their, you know, extra year in and how many seniors are actually just going to forego it and, go on with their lives yeah so it's a really good question and the first um few weeks of this first you know 7 14 18 days we spent a lot of time on that question exactly and and obviously the ncaa and the council came to a conclusion to offer that additional season of eligibility and um extend some financial aid with flexibility for the institutions to determine what that looks like. And um, we had 51 students that would be, would have been eligible to return. And right now we project to have 27 do so. So obviously things are fluid, things could change, but everybody that wanted the opportunity to return, we are providing that opportunity to do so. And so we think it's the right thing to do. We think it was the right decision to make by the council and the NCAA. And so we'll welcome them back, obviously, with open arms and allow them to finish what they started. Alex, I'm not sure if you heard the news today, but at Wisconsin, Athletic Director Billy Alvarez announced that any seniors that were in the spring sports at Wisconsin will not be eligible to come back, um, which is kind of crazy in my perspective. But do you see other athletic directors following suit or just kind of one of those one-offs where Wisconsin is just trying to save some money, I guess. Yeah, it's hard to speculate. I'm sure it's different. Um, It's going to be different at every institution. What I will say is um, I think think a, a big question out there, and it was part of the conversation as we were voting on this, was um, how can departments support this uh, if, there is a delay to football season, particularly at the highest level. So at the Power Five level, at the FBS level, where that revenue essentially um, 
provides for the rest of the department if there's a delay, if there's a cancellation, if there's a shortening of the season, um, if there's losses TV revenue, that's a significant hit to these departments that rely on that and are sustained by that. And so I would imagine any school that is um, looking to limit spring eligibility like Wisconsin did has that very thought in their mind. Alex Ricker Gilbert with us, Jacksonville University Athletic Director. Uh, these are interesting times, uh, to say the least. You just gave us pretty much a 50% uh, rate of of students that could be eligible to use that year and that may use that uh, from a senior perspective. I do think uh, the institutions, I know you brought up Wisconsin, Austin, but I do think the institutions that are trying to make this work and try to think for the student athlete and give them that option, I know it's got to be challenging, Alex. Alex, I mean, from a dollar standpoint. So I think we need to applaud uh, places like Jacksonville University that are giving students that opportunity to come back if they choose so. Yeah, the other side of that, Brent and Austin, is, um, and, and for us and how we looked at it, and I think it needs to be stated, is that spring sports um, are, are generally what are called equivalency sports. So they're different from football and basketball where every, almost every student athlete on the team is getting full scholarships. Baseball and softball and lacrosse, their scholarships are split over a great number of people or a great number of student athletes. So we'll take men's lacrosse, for example. There's 55 students on our roster for 12.6 athletic scholarships. And so these students that are coming back are, are for the most part, going to be not only getting a little bit of scholarship, obviously, but they're going to be providing tuition revenue to the institutions. And so in a lot of ways, this makes obviously competitive and athletic success, but with, with the, with the scholarshiping, how, how it is for spring sports, it also can make financial sense to institutions. Alex Ricker Gilbert hanging with us in Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690. We're calling up Fins Up Friday as we celebrate local sports in the area. Not only the professional franchises, the minor league franchises, but our local colleges as well. So, so uh, pleased that we'll be joined by uh, several guests from Jacksonville University here on a Friday. Now, Alex Ricker Gilbert. At one time, if I'm if I'm right, you were the youngest athletic director in the country. <laughs> is does that still hold true, or is there a young buck now that holds that mark? Yeah, I'm. I'm uh, I, I am happy to say that as of this year, um, I am no longer that. I no longer hold that title. Uh, I think um, a few months ago, uh, Florida A and M hired somebody who uh, is 31, and I am 32. And actually, this month it's it's. I'm wrapping up my fourth year as AD. So uh, some some days it feels like it's flown by other days feels like i've been here for 40 years but it's all been good <laughs> i was gonna say that to you man too because you you've you've had some really highs and lows that's part of the gig sometimes uh and this is going to be obviously something you'll talk about you know for the remainder of your career in terms of the experience but you're heavily involved with a lot of ncaa things uh, uh regular contributor to national conversations surrounding ncaa legislation a sun council representative 
the vice chair of legislative com- subcommittee. So all those kind of things. I mean, you really are are not only just very uh, visual uh, visible at Jacksonville University, but all across the NCAA and the A Sun, uh, which is important, gaining knowledge and sharing it uh, back here at JU. But if you take and in, in just your Jacksonville University experiences. This pandemic will be one of them. Obviously, you guys made the difficult decision about uh, football last fall. So even 2019 to 2020, uh, you've, you've had a wild year. And, and also a big facility charge uh, with various uh, facilities, including that uh, outstanding lacrosse complex. And you have a basketball complex in the making as well, practice facility. Can you give us an update on that? And will any of those kind of projects be impacted by these tough economic times with this pandemic? Yeah, it's uh, you're right. It's been a heck of a year. Um, there's no doubt. Um, and, and but but what we are looking obviously always on how we can continue forward and, and make progress to, to, despite and in spite of the difficult times as it relates to uh, facility projects and facility um, process. Uh, we are we are still uh, moving forward with the basketball facility. Um, you know, obviously with this, I think you could see you know some slight um, calendar adjustments just because people are working from home and architects are working from home, and it, it might be harder to access what they need and what we need away from the office. But generally, the time frame remains remains the same at this point. We hope to or we plan, and we don't hope, we plan to break ground uh, this summer, uh, July, August time frame, um, obviously being considerate and sensitive of, of what's going on now, and that, you know, that could obviously be delayed if, if um, some of the social distancing and stay-at-home orders aren't lifted by then. But right now the plan is July, August start with a, with a finish of um, summer 21. Yeah, very good. Alex Ricker Gilbert joining us, the athletic director at Jacksonville University. And just uh, one more question on the basketball front. You guys obviously have made a a big, I don't know if it's a pivot or not, but it's obviously a big investment in basketball, uh, which, by the way, I think is a a great idea. I've said that many times since I've been here in town, but President Tim Costa is, is supporting it. Uh, obviously you are supporting it and with this facility change that supports it too. Can you give us just a little insight with the 50th year celebration uh, of that tremendous 1970 team? Uh, of course, artist Gilmore and company, uh, how big of, uh, uh, how this has been received, I guess, everything you guys are doing to, to really, uh, boost up your basketball program. Yeah, I think, um, I think it's a really good observation and I think, the idea around um, taking a more focused approach to what we're doing in athletics is a, a big part of the strategy. And obviously basketball uh, is a driver of that strategy. I think we owe a lot of our success as a university and our history to the basketball program. And it's a, it's a goal of ours to get back to a place we're competing um, you know, regularly in our league for that conference championship bid, that NCAA champ or the NCAA tournament bid, and, and potentially further. Um, and so, I think the 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 ability to articulate our history, to articulate that we're trying to take a focused approach 
to show that by doing and by taking action with the facility and with enhancements for the program um, ha- has has garnered a lot of support. And I think the folks that are closest to Jacksonville University understand the need for that focus, for that um, resource-driven mentality around um, our, our sports that we're prioritizing, like basketball, and, and are really behind us in doing that. So uh, we're hopeful. We're excited for the future. We're excited about what athletics can serve and do for the university. And, and more than anything, we're just excited to get back to a little sense of normalcy so we can keep pushing this thing forward. Yeah, so many good athletic programs on the campus of Jacksonville University, so many good coaches and tremendous athletes. But uh, basketball, I've always been a big believer in this area that uh, at a school like Jacksonville University can can really be a boon uh, for everybody, not just uh, basketball. So uh, I, I like seeing uh, the direction of the basketball program for you guys. A couple of questions. Quick hitters here. The the Jacksbees uh, are going on online. Uh, tell us a little bit about that, and also your hashtag JU Strong campaign uh, for anybody associated with the university and athletics. Yeah, so so thanks for asking about both those things, Brent. Um, the Jacksbees is our annual student athlete celebration, student athlete award ceremony, and and obviously um, with the, with the unprecedented nature of the circumstances this year, we we're not, unable to. Um, have it like we normally do. And Matt Moretti, our, our associate AD for athletics communication, and Lauren Sevis, our deputy AD, and, and the person that oversees uh, student athlete services and academics, came up with a great idea with their teams to hold the, the jack speeds over a eight to 12 week time period where it's being um, voted on and and um, shown off in the virtual space, in the social media space. And so we've had really good reception. Obviously, student athletes and students and families uh, spend spend good bits of time on social media and so have been, been interacting well with, with the idea of having this um, virtually. And so it's just been a fun way to honor our student athletes with the event that we can't have it as normally scheduled. The JU Strong campaign is is really this idea that um, students and student athletes all over the country, but specifically at JU, um, you know this this pandemic has thrown um, our country into uh, a new sense of normalcy um, that has been a, a huge challenge, and people have lost jobs. Um, the economy looks a lot different, will continue to evolve. And the, the idea of the JU Strong campaign is to help any students in need who might have been, who might have been or will be impacted by the pandemic at home, whether it's with family members losing jobs or having to change jobs or they themselves losing jobs. It's to, it's a campaign to support those student athletes in need so they have the ability to come to school or come back to school after the, we get beyond the, the pandemic. Yeah, very well said. Uh, very good idea. And, and make sure you follow on uh, social media on Twitter at Jacks underscore Dolphins uh, for more on both of those programs. And of course, you can always visit uh, the website as well, judolphins.com. Uh, Alex Ricker Gilbert, uh, the athletic director with us on Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. We're calling it Fins Up Friday as we celebrate local sports. All right, last one. I'll let you go, I promise. Uh, but I keep coming up with questions, so I want to keep no, you for a no little problem. bit longer. Uh, Thank you for having the, me. The, the one back to what Austin had asked about the seniors. This didn't cross my mind until I was talking with somebody today about it. Grad transfers. Are, 
are we going is that a concern with all this how many grad transfers we could potentially see because so many kids were finished or athletes were finished with a at least one semester and possibly finishing up this next semester uh, online so that speeds up their academics even though their athletics slowed down by a year in the spring sports yeah i think i think long term um you, you you might see more. I think uh, because eligibility, an extra year of eligibility was granted, not just to seniors, but to all the classes uh, coming up, freshmen, sophomores, and juniors. The one caveat to the financial aid exemption, Bretton Austin, um, that was established by the council is that it wouldn't apply to grad transfers. And so if a student graduates from, let's say, um, um, College of Charleston and and we want him as a baseball player to transfer to JU as a graduate student, that student-athlete would have to count within our limits even though he was he was granted the additional year of eligibility as it relates to financial aid. And so the benefit of allowing uh, seniors to be exempted from your aid limits does not apply to graduate transfers. And so that might curb the amount of graduate transfers you see because uh, of them having to fall within the financial aid limitations. But as always, I think transfers, um, it's a whole other conversation. Those numbers generally will continue to rise. As I have one last question for you. We kind of touched on a, a bit already with, with your age and everything like that. I think you were 28 years old when you took over as AD. And By the way, stop and think about that. Now it's doesn't like this. He doesn't even embrace it anymore. He doesn't like, yeah, didn't yeah. like being that young guy. But think about all the stuff we're talking about right now. Yeah, I, I I mean, the complexities of the NCAA, the complexities of all the different sports on a college campus. Mm-hmm. And to be able to handle that stuff at 28, by the way, Alex Ricker Gilbert has done a fantastic job in these these four years, five years. I don't even know uh, what it exactly is, but somewhere in that realm. Yeah, I mean, think about 28 years old, man. Coach, That's me. I'm 28. <laughs> I know. Do you think I can Coos do it? Coos right now. That's Coos, crazy. Yeah. Now, we're not trying to make fun of Coos. We're no, just no. trying to shed the light oh, on how. Dude. That's a pretty awesome thing. Uh, Alex Ricker Gilbert. My own life at 28 years old. But, I mean, we, we can hardly talk to Alex Ricker Gilbert. The guy's yeah. so much smarter than us. I can't even get the title of the stream spelled right after time. <laughs> but, Alex, here, here's my question, man, okay? <laughs> If you take the average age of an AD, I need to right? come on here more more often, guys. Oh, yeah, you guys man, boost that ego good. a little bit, man. Boost that ego yeah, a little bit. Yeah. But, all right, so here's the thing: if you take the average age of an athletic AD right now of D1 uh, sports, it's 52 years old. Do you think that you have an advantage a little bit because you are younger and you can you possibly you can kind of relate to the players a little more? And I get that's not really your job to relate to players, but does it make your job easier? You know, kind of having some stuff in common with them. Yeah, I think maybe, um, and, and and you know, I I, I like to um, really I, I enjoy being uh, around them, and, and I enjoy being able to see them grow and, and progress as, as young people. And I think maybe more than me um, being able to uh, relate. To, to them, I think maybe they feel like they can relate to me. And so that comfortability mm. between AD and student athlete is there, if that makes sense. And so I think, whereas maybe, um, 
you know, the, the, the common thought is, well, it's the AD, he's in his office, and he's got this job, and I only want to talk to the AD if something's going on that um, is negative, or the AD's only going to talk to me if something's going on that's negative. I think because we're, we're closer in age, I think the student-athletes uh, tend to feel more comfortable in talking to me and interacting with me, and so I think that's an advantage for me, and, and I hope that um, I can create that sort of personality for them to always feel that way, not just when I'm 32 or 33 or 35, but when I am 55 or 57, the hope is that they'll always be comfortable in coming to me. But uh, I think right now, particularly to your point, I think that does provide an additional level of comfort for them in being able to disclose and talk to me about whatever it is that's on their mind. That's a good right. answer. Yeah, doing a great job, man, and uh, we appreciate you jumping on today. I hope uh, you and the family and everybody in the JU family is uh, well during these uh, these difficult times and, and look forward to talking to uh, Tony Jasik and, and Chris Hayes a little bit later on here in the program. Thanks for coming on, man. Thank you, guys, and be safe and best to all your families as well. All right, Thank Alex Ricker-Gilbert, Athletic Director at Jacksonville University. And by the way, now that he's off, I will say this real quick, and it's their day, JU Day, so hopefully I don't ruffle any feathers, but I truly believe this. I think one of the great assets Jacksonville University has had is they traditionally have been around for a long time. The artist Gilmore, 50 years, uh, that you know, big uh, milestone, and, and others. Yeah. But at the same time, it was it was tremendous vision on the on the part of President Tim Cost. I don't know if you had to go 28 years old, but to go younger. Mm-hmm. And so they needed to refresh to get a little younger as well. You got to balance that. Tradition is great, but you also have to sometimes have some youth involved. Sure. You know, I think every business comes into that at, at points. Mm-hmm. And I think Alex has really helped that. And uh, so it was good vision by the, the part of the entire school and President Tim Koss and everybody. And now they do have that nice balance. I think they're doing a great job in the athletic uh, program over there at Jacksonville University. We'll talk more about it as the show goes on. It spins up Friday. We'll get back to some football talk. I want to ask you about this draft process. What if you were going through it right now? We'll get to that next on ESPN 690. To know that the NFL is planning to play as well, that's our hope and that's our uh, planning uh, to date. We can help our country heal. We can help bring our communities together. We can provide hope. We can provide a distraction from the everyday issues and show people that there is a future out there and that we're all going to be part of that. Well, that is Roger Goodell talking about the draft, the coronavirus and everything else surrounding the league that's really operated under business as usual outside of being in their headquarters yeah i mean it's been remarkable now it doesn't mean it's not challenging but it's been remarkable how they have kept their calendar and i will say and i believe this now i believe it in our business i believe it maybe in this business and this radio show i believe it on the tv side of things on a lot of different levels I think we are fortunate because the NFL is such an economic driver to so many things. And that includes, I think, our industry quite a bit, radio or TV, some more than others. But I think it's a big driver, a big engine that I think we are fortunate to this point that this stoppage Mm -hmm. didn't happen in September, October, November. Now, that's not to say it's not going to happen. We'll have to keep an eye. There's a second phase to that. And that doesn't make it good <laughs> that we have lost the NBA, baseball, professional golf, all those other things, every sport, really. Um, and again, I'm talking from a sports 
centric standpoint here. Uh, not sensitive, uh, not insensitive to everything else without with the health part of it. But I just think from that standpoint, we are fortunate that it didn't fall in football season. And that's not lost on me. Now, what happens if it does fall on football season? There's another level of this, I think, uh, when it comes to a lot of things. And, and I, I, I guess I'm speaking a little bit selfishly here. I think there could be another level of it when it comes to our industry, our business, not just here in Jacksonville, but across the country. Mm-hmm. You cannot deny that the NFL helps employ a lot of people around the country that don't necessarily work for the NFL. I mean, all the things that have sprouted from the population of the NFL, I mean, the popularity of the NFL, from betting mm-hmm. in Vegas and and everywhere to fantasy football gurus sure. to mock draft yep. fun to regular talk about the NFL on a daily basis. I mean, it is that much of a king sport right now in our country that I think we are at least a bit fortunate at the moment to try to get things figured out by the time that starts back up. That being said, it has been business as usual. And I have to give a little credit to Roger Goodell here because I asked him for the last couple of weeks several times to say, come on out and say, why are you doing this? Why are you still business as usual? You know, it's okay that you are, I guess, and it's okay if it has its critics too. But can you at least come out and talk about it? I mean, you're a forty million dollar guy. You're you're the you're the head of the monster that is the NFL. At least come out and talk to the folks that that believe in your product and a lot of them that livelihoods depend on your product, and say, hey, we're sensitive to what's going on, but we feel like we can be of assistance. At this time, and I think that's what Roger Goodell just said with all this transactional kind of business still going on. I'm glad he came out and said something like that. I've been asking for it really for the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean, it's good to listen. I guess what we talk about all the time, the NFL is the king, especially in the U.S., you know, and we put it on a pedestal just like we do with our with our athletes. And it's good that Roger Goodell finally, you know, and like you said, Brent, we've been kind of asking for it for a while now, finally comes out addresses it a little bit, and kind of brings it back down to the human level, right? Because for at least my opinion, the optics were, we're not going to say anything because you, you think you're above this whole thing. You you think you're above this pandemic, a la the UFC. Well, you saw it happen with Dana White now. UFC 249 got canceled. The rest of the events on Fight Island, they got canceled because ESPN told you to shut it down. So... I think that it helps the you know the the overall optic level of the NFL to come out and actually address the situation now. Yeah, so the situation is what it is. It's interesting. I talked to someone recently with the Jags said, "Hey, how are these? How's everything going?" Like, uh, you know, we we did a story on it actually on Wednesday, but some of those interviews were from like a week ago. So I caught up and asked a little bit more of how's it going the next week. You know, this is so day by day, week by week, and we get closer and closer to the draft. Mm-hmm. And I've heard very positive reviews. Out of like the, the the calls, the the inquiries, whether it's the FaceTime calls that some teams are having, I think uh, we've seen positive reviews out of that. I think who was it? Uh, the Murray kid out of Oklahoma was on uh, with Scott Van Pelt okay. last night, yeah. and so I, I don't see the draft prospects having that big of an issue with it. Mm-hmm. I think the teams are getting along with it. I think there will be the teams that are the naysayers of it as well uh, and find the problems with it. But I think if you embrace it, it can work. And, and I'm of the belief that you watch April 23rd and the rest of the draft, this thing's going to come across probably better than people expect. Well, you're a great 
example of a guy who's been through this process. We don't know it. You know it. You went to the combine. But ever since the combine, everything else stopped. You only went on one visit, I think, to Buffalo. Correct. You had your pro day, though. Uh-huh. So you can at least speak to what these guys are going through. Would it be stressful right now as a as a prospect if you were going through this process and all this is going on and you can't do what is normal? Normal being go to a pro day. Normal meaning going to make a team visit. Mm-hmm. Just all those kind of things. Train. It adds, hey, train, train. Train maybe in like <laughs> Solomon Kinley uh, from Reigns. Yeah. The story on him last week. He was training in Pensacola. Had to come home. And now, yeah. you know, there's is there always that, am I doing enough? Am I doing this the right way? Would I be getting better training and be ready if I'm with well, these professional trainers? And especially, like, it's one thing if you're a first-round pick and you have those, you know, luxuries i guess but imagine being the guy that's on the fringe that's just trying to make a team like the, the you know that could be a, definitely an issue from the standpoint of you know what are the draft guys going through right now what are they feeling because this is obviously something that's ever been uh you know that we've never seen before with, with the pandemic and everything and i'll say it to you like this if you went to the combine, like, listen, the, the, the Senior Bowl, it was cool, man. It, it was a great experience. Any All-Star game is a cool experience. It gives you a chance to put on the helmet one last time, represent your school, showcase your skills. Very cool. And then you realize that the, the combine is where you make your money. The, the combine is where you make your bread. Now, keep in mind, and we've had some guests on the show before, and I've always agreed with them, where your film will always be king. What you put on film will be what you get graded off the most. But the but the combine, it's a nice accessory to go along with that film. So the combine's like the next thing where you can showcase your talent, your skills, teams can get a feel for you. Obviously you're doing the interviews, obviously you're going on the board and everything. Um you're meeting in front of teams and everything and hopefully they went well. And then not like my interview with the Jacksonville Jaguars, which was an absolute nightmare, but they still picked me, so I guess it worked out for everybody. So you get an idea of the player there. So I felt once I completed the combine, and even after the combine, before my pro day, I was like, okay, I'm all good, man. Like, everything else now coming up, you know, the the pro day, the interviews, the visits and everything like that, that's just gravy, man. And like, and that's kind of how I approached my pro day. Like, yeah, it was still important to me, obviously, because I was a small school guy, and we had some other small school guys, you know, from, from Murray State and then some other universities as well that were with us. So, like, I want to make sure the pro day was good for them as well. But for me personally, I wasn't worried about the pro day. I was like, I've done all I needed to do. Now, you know, I had a bench press, and I got my 20 reps, so that was fine. Um, I re-ran the 40-yard dash, and that was fine, everything like that. But overall, I figured going into my pro day, I kind of had an idea of where I was going to be. So that's what these guys are thinking right now. If you went to the combine, if you were at the all-star, a all-star game, you're fine, man. All right? Like, you've done the work, so just sit back and relax. Now... If you are the small school guy, if you are the guy that didn't get to go to the combine, they had to do a pro day maybe like by himself, you know, in, in a quarantine area with no scouts, then you're nervous, man, okay? Because that's your time to shine. Now, on the grand scheme of things, Brent, of all those guys getting drafted, we're talking fractions here. We're talking maybe like, you know, 5 6% of the guys should be stressing out right now just because they haven't really had a fair shake to showcase their skills. And again, they still have the film, and the film's the most important thing, but they haven't gone to the combine and thing like that, things like that. So overall, man, if you went to the combine, if you went to an all-star game, and you know, you're, you're a draft prospect, you should just be chilling right now. You, know, you should just be hanging out um, and getting excited for the process. And you know what? I think those kids, too, that are going to be drafted – 
knowing that the the draft is taking place at the same time, they don't have to wait an extra month or so to postpone the draft. Dude, that, that means everything to them. Because the most stressful part for me of the NFL draft, I knew I was probably going to get drafted, so that was really cool. But it's like, where am I going to live for the next three or four years? You know, because there's literally like 30 different possibilities. That's the stressful part. And I feel like I felt like if Roger Goodell would have delayed the, the draft, you know, that much more, then you start stressing people out a little bit. Sometimes I really like having Austin on the show. Sometimes it's beneficial. I mean, that was really good. Once in a... It was really good. Once in a blue moon, yeah, it helps. Yeah, once you know? in a while. Yeah, I mean, yeah, just once in a while. Yeah, I mean, yeah. other times, yeah. whatever. But, but I mean, yeah. No, really. What, sincerely, what you just said there at the end makes a lot of sense to me. And I would actually add in, yeah, you thought you'd get drafted, mm-hmm. but still, the idea of where you're going to get drafted, the unknown of, hey, there are a lot of guys that think they're going to get drafted, but don't get drafted. Sure. I still think that part combined with what you just said, which was I wasn't even thinking about, is, hey, let me try to get. Let me try to learn about Jacksonville. Let me yeah. try to find where are the good parts to live. Even if I have to do that from Wisconsin, mm-hmm. I can at least get ahead on that. So then when it's time to play football, and that might even be scrunched up even more than it's ever been mm-hmm. for a lot of people because you're not going to have the OTAs, the offseason conditioning, and the in the mini tra- the rookie camps and, and uh, mandatory uh, mini camps, all those kind of things in the summer. So that's a great point. I mean, I, I think that's one of the reasons why – Players, draft hopefuls, would want it to happen uh, right now and will be beneficial for them, at least in this time where so much is uncertain. Maybe they could find something that is certain. I know I'm living there. Of course, man. That was the hardest thing, you know, because every single night you go to, like, say you're like a week before the draft. Every night you go to bed, it's like, all right, a few months from now. I'll be living someplace else in a completely different environment, and I'm not sure. And then, you know, if you have a wife, if you have a girlfriend, if you have kids, you have to figure that stuff out, too, as well. It's not just sometimes the football player, man. It's the football player and his family as well. So I'm glad that Roger Goodell scheduled it, you know, for the same time, didn't delay it, because that, that's the biggest thing, man. It's it, it's the consistency, obviously, but it's also the players knowing what they're going to do for the next three or four years of their life. Awesome point. Uh, one last question about this process. Mm-hmm. Would you have killed it in the FaceTime interview? Mm. See, <laughs> it's funny you ask that. I I, I hate FaceTime. Right? I I hate the FaceTime interviews, and I hate like the like the you know like the Skype sessions. Like I don't mind Skyping one on one. That's fine. But when it's like a group of people, because like whose turns it to talk? There's always a delay, and it stresses me Uncomfortable, out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So to be fair, um, I probably would have flunked them with flying colors. I guess you would say, but. <laughs> Um. Yeah. So I probably wouldn't have liked them. Tell you the truth. I'm, well, I get I'm more the feeling though. Uh, in person, I get the feeling they are one on one though. Well, if you go to Facetime, I don't think they're doing the Zoom. And well, maybe they do have a couple of them in at a time, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it's. I'm sure it's just one person, but I wouldn't be surprised. Like you know, because like I said, I mean, when I went to visit the Buffalo Bills, yeah, I sat down with the defensive coordinator, defensive line coach, talked to the head coach a little bit. Jim Kelly went on his Tim Tebow rant. That was horrible. But I think overall, <laughs> man, like. That's the beauty of Skype, right, and Zoom, that you can record those conversations and you can show them to other, you know, staff members. So maybe you're right. Maybe it is a one-on-one conversation, but I'm a people person, man. I'm much rather I do in person than I would uh, online. By the way, hey, Kuz, can you fill in 
Austin, that if he's uncomfortable on the Zooms and the Skypes, he essentially does it every day here on the show with millions and millions of people. Yeah, well, yeah you no. got to do that. Yeah, but guess what, though, man? I'm <laughs> we talking just can't to millions and millions of people. I'm talking to thousands of people watching us or, or listening to us on the radio. I'm millions, talking to Brent. Millions. Millions upon millions. I'm talking to Brent Marno. I'm talking to Justin Coos, and that's about it, man. That's how I approach we'll it. We'll take thousands, too, but uh, and millions. This is okay. Tens, hundreds, thousands, hundreds, thousands, whatever you want to do, man. Billions. Yeah. Uh, I will say, just to your point, you know, where you thought you did well, and, and you were good at the combine and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Solomon Kinley, again, the, the Reigns product out of Georgia, offensive lineman. He said the same thing. When I did the story with him last week, he said, I killed it at the combine. There you He's go. He's like, I'm good. Yeah. And, and you know. No, that that's a great feeling. I didn't kill it at the combine. I was okay with it. I was really it. happy. Good for him. And man. so it's like, Mike Drop put it down and. and all right, here you go, April. And <laughs> yeah. again, now, I, I think you're right about 95% of them. Are we going to lose 5% of those folks that could have had their stock go up or small school guys that could have had a chance? Yeah, I think we will. I think we could. That's just the way I, of the and world. hopefully they get a chance to do it at some point. Maybe the NFL for those guys makes a July workout so you can be an undrafted free agent or yeah. something like that. You know, there, there are other ways to find those guys. This day and age, man, it's really hard not to find guys. Exactly. One way or another. Will it happen in time for the draft? Probably not. Uh, but it could happen in time for the season. And, and you said, and that was going to be like my, my final point here. Uh, you know, it's kind of put a bow on this whole speech. That's the beauty of football, you know, and that's the beauty with a lot of professional sports, but especially football, where if you're good enough, whether you're a D3 guy, whether you're coming from the Colorado College of the Mines, yeah. whether, whether you're coming from... I forget from, who that was. What don't was remember the guy's name. That's so bad. That was, what that was, my was teammate. his name? I shared a locker room with him for one training camp, and I can't remember his name. defensive end. Defensive end, played my position, took a lot of my reps, and I can't remember his name. Um, anyways, but w- whether you're that guy or whether you know, you're coming from even Canada, like, if you're good enough... They will find you, yeah, and then they will give you a shot. Now, you may not have the advantages of the draft picks, obviously, but the most important thing is you will have a shot. What you do with that shot, that's up to you, but you will get a shot. Uh, okay, one other thought uh, before we get Tony Jasik in, in the, at the bottom of the hour, NFL-wise. Bill O'Brien's been taking a ton of heat. <laughs> yeah, it's the gift that keeps on giving. I mean, can I, just, can I just say, when I saw that trade go through last night, oh, Brent. Just, I was rejuvenated, like like a B12 shot. I'm like, Houston Texans, you keep giving me these gifts. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Now stop being cowards and announce the trade on Twitter again, please. I need the mentions, and I need the reactions. Well, okay, so a couple of things. One real quick thought. Why does Brandon Cooks get traded all the time? He's 26 years old, and he's been traded like three times. Well, you know what the Rams are doing now. So the Rams... I think, and I read about this a little bit, which makes complete sense. The Rams last year changed up their offense a little bit from what they did in 2000, and it would have been, what, 18? Yeah, 18, when yeah. they went to the Super Bowl. They're doing a lot more two tight end sets because they feel like they have Everett, they have Higby, two guys that can kind of go all over the field and produce. So now they're taking more of that 11 personnel, they're throwing it out, and they're going 12 personnel. The Rams are evolving. Sean McVay, Brent, is evolving. And in evolving, that means that someone's got to go. You're going to keep Cup. You're going to keep Reynolds. Sorry, man, but Cooks, you're out. So $21 million in dead money, by the way. I know. It doesn't look good. I, listen, the Jags have Nick Foles on for $18 million, yeah. but that, that was a little bit of, hey, let's we'll take the hit now because it will clear us a little bit later. Correct. And we've got a crowded room right now. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not making an excuse. Jags have had some of that the last couple of years. Really, the first six years or so, the Caldwell era, they didn't have much. Last two years with Bortles and now Foles, they certainly have. But 
Yeah, Cooks. It's interesting, man. What they're doing. Cooks is a, is is it's just an interesting guy. I think he's a dangerous weapon. I think he, he can be a weapon. A I think he can. Nice, nice uh, piece. Mm-hmm. He's also had. I think I saw a, a five concussions. Yeah, yeah. He's That's a little, a little risky prone. investment. Listen, he is a little injury prone for sure. So they give up basically a second round pick, the fifty seventh overall, uh, and. Now they what it's hard to comprehend in a way because if you look at their lineup they've swapped a lot of like mid round picks for this year and even a couple next year and essentially well, they got fifteen. They traded things. a second round pick though, Brent, yeah, for Cooks. Did. I know. So put put that out there. Yeah, no, yeah I did. Fifty seven okay, overall. I got you. Okay. But if you if you now look at them on paper, mm. was it as bad a move? <laughs> Or we just say Bill O'Brien made a move. Let's laugh. So you're saying was it as bad of a, of a move to go get Brandon Cooks right now? Yeah, I mean, listen, and, and the DeAndre it, Hopkins one still seems so inexcusable, right? Correct. Three years left. I mean, it was a steal. I, I, I nobody's going to spin that. I haven't heard one person outside of Bill O'Brien validate it, correct. justify it. Sure. This one I feel a little bit different. Oh, I, I feel like now, oh, no. if you look at the the makeup of their team. And now, I mean, you got Cooks that can fly. You got Fuller that can fly. Yeah. You've got Stills on their on your roster. Correct. And I'm Slot missing somebody. Guy. I'm missing. Well, they also. I mean, I, I'm not. I'm not putting anything into Cooks David Johnson last year. So, and I mean, is that's not bad? I mean, oh. when you ask the question of receiving court. Oh, you're so innocent, Brent. You're so you, innocent. When you ask the question of receiving court, is that better receiving court than the Jags? If they're healthy, yeah, sure. But key word. If they're healthy, you have Will Fuller, who hasn't played in a full season yet. Listen, if they all stay healthy, and I'm Deshaun Watson, all right, Will Fuller, you do a go route. Kenny Stills, you do a go route. And guess what? Brandon Cooks, you do a go route. No one's going to stop that, Brent. And if you're a Texans, I mean, if you're a Jaguars fan, you'd agree with me. You're not going to stop that. But can they stay healthy? That is a big, fat question mark, which I can't, you know, give you the answer to. So, yeah, on paper it looks fantastic, but once again, you're taking on Brandon Cook's contract. If you're taking on his contract, why not just take on Hopkins' contract and then maybe up it next year? The, the, that's still my complaint. Is this deal for Brandon Cooks for a second round pick good? I don't know, Brent, because what have we what have we been talking about this entire draft year so far? Who has the most depth possibly at a position? It's the wide receiver. You just traded away your second-round pick where you could have drafted a wide receiver, a legit, bona fide wide receiver, more than likely, to get Brandon Cooks, who's been injury-prone. So, no, I don't like the trade. I much would rather to the Houston Texans use their scouting department, use their due diligence, and draft the wide receiver in the second round. Simple as that. Yeah, it, I, it's fair, especially yeah. in, a, in a deep receiver class. Yeah. Uh, I, so, I get it. Field Yates puts this put this out. They traded away Hopkins, Clowney, two first round picks, two second round picks, a third, a fourth, three other players, and a sixth round pick. They got in return Tunsil, Cooks, David Johnson, Kenny Stills, Marcavius Mingo, Jacob Martin, Gary and Conley, Carlos Hyde, and then one, two, three, four, five, six different picks, but none higher than the second round. One second round, uh, a third, three fourths, and a sixth. Uh, you know what's interesting? What it says there is like Cooks is concussion prone, right? Yeah. Uh, Mingo has been, eh. I think Gary and Conley has been questionable as well, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they're taking on like projects almost, where you had these known commodities and Hopkins especially, and maybe even Clowney would fall into that. A very risk reward 
playing smartest guy in the room seems like Bill O'Brien. And listen, I'm late to the party because Houston announced that Brandon Cooks, the trade is in. He's coming to Houston at 3.30. So I'm going to look through the comments right uh, now during the break, Brent. It's your favorite time of the And day. I'm going to get my satisfaction that I had so well deserved. Tony Jasek up next. It's Fins Up Friday. We talk some JU Dolphins basketball on ESPN 690 next. So the other day we saw Tiger King, which I happened to be in. You guys are in hey, it too, by the way. We're all, I know I was going to say, we're all in it too, very briefly. Yeah, because of me. Wait, hey, way to take the whole team down, Jack. Yeah, no, no. It's guilt by association. Yeah. Shaquille O'Neal was in Tiger King a little bit, had to apologize about that. He had to apologize for being Tiger King? Or yeah. at least had to like straighten I it out. too. That he wasn't a big supporter, I think. Yeah, of course he's not. It's a dumb show. I'm never going to watch it. So simple as that. You've watched it. You, you, you completed. And no, I'm, I haven't. And I'm upset. No. no? I, haven't stuck on, I haven't watched an episode in like a week. I'm on third episode, and that's it. Really? And I might, now, now I'm to the point. See? I better hurry sure. up, though. There's yeah. a new episode coming out Saturday. Oh, Don't of course you think there it's going to hurry up? Come on. Of course there is. <laughs> Don't you think it's going to. I feel like it's died off a little bit. No, I mean, I see memes yeah. all the time. No? Oh, it's everywhere it's still. still. I see memes all the time. The memes Dude, are they're, outrageous. They're going to, the girl, the lady that killed her husband was supposedly whatever. Allegedly, what, yeah. What? What's her name? Carol Baskin. Okay, Carol Bask. Carol Baskets or Baskins? Baskin. Well, you can do Carol both, Baskin. probably. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Carol Baskin <laughs> supposedly maybe killed her husband, and now they're going to bring the case back up because of the popularity on Netflix? Excuse me? Well, it went cold, and now everybody, now that it's out there, the cops are like, hey, Hey. while you know about this. Hey, Tupac had about 15 documentaries and 10 movies about him, and nobody can tell me who shot Tupac when he got shot one block away from the Las Vegas Strip. But let's go ahead and award Carol Baskins her duty because she looks like a liberal arts teacher in an Oregon public school. But it is what it is, man. It is what it is, I guess. I just, I'm not coming along on the Tiger King bandwagon. I'm not hopping on. I think it's a dumb show. With I need dumb you to people. watch it so bad. I'm not watching it. Uh, I'm, t- I'm not, I'm never going to watch the show. I need you to. Welcome to the show, Tony Jess. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> how, Sorry. How many times have you seen Tiger King, Coach? <laughs> I, have not, I have not seen the Tiger King yet. I will I will confess, though, we watched episode one last night. It's been slow around here at night. <laughs> so we, we watched the first episode, and we're debating uh, what tonight will bring. It, it kind of questions your worth a little bit, doesn't it? <laughs> there, are a lot of things, there are a lot of things through this process of this virus that we've questioned what we're doing with our lives. Tony Jasek, men's basketball coach at Jacksonville University, uh, (laughs) joins us. You know, I just got this email in, and Tiger King, there's actually a civic science study done on it with 2,700 respondents. 77% of the U.S. population, 13-plus, is aware of the show Tiger King. What happened to the other 23%? Like, what are those people doing that they don't know that even this show exists? It's probably my mom, actually, now that I'm saying it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They are probably, they're probably all living better their best off. lives. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're useful. Uh, hey, what's happening, man? Hope you and the family are doing well and, and uh, joining, enjoying a little uh, family time. You're getting plenty of it, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's very, uh, very unique, especially this time of year for us. We're usually uh, we're usually gone a bunch. Um you know, recruiting and uh, both kind of finishing up the the current class and also uh, looking into future classes. Um, so it's been it's been a unique unique experience and a unique time. But we'll uh, we'll keep plugging away and, and everybody will get through it. Give us the most direct impact 
to men's college basketball outside of obviously we lost March Madness. Uh, you guys also lose that a big coaching convention, which usually takes place at the Final Four. Uh, is there value in that, that that you guys will miss out on as coaches across the country? And then also from a recruiting standpoint, like you said, usually on the road right now, and I think they've locked everything up until at least May 31st at this point. Uh, what's the most direct impact to men's basketball, uh, not only at JU but across the country? I think there are I think there are a couple. Um, obviously, the financial impact of the NCAA tournament is not the, the thing that's going to grab the most attention and, and the most um, you know concerning. But when you when you break it down, you know from a from a player uh, perspective, we missed about a month of, of being able to do some spring workouts and spring program with our current team. Uh, you know, a lot of guys. This is a big this is a big part of the year where they get better and they can work on their individual improvement. Uh, the second piece to that is at, at our level, the recruitment uh, aspect is huge. You know, we sign a lot of guys in the spring, and not being able to have any visits, not being able to go out and uh, spend time with them and their families, you know, watching them actually work out or, or play uh, in the spring, like it's been impactful. And uh, we'll see what that looks like going forward in terms of, you know, the, the quality of, of the recruiting class and, and how. You know, the, studying and following this 2020 uh, spring signing class will be interesting over the next few years. Coach, something I've always been interested with, uh, I guess, the, the landscape now of high school basketball, you know, in the recruiting process is the fact that, like, when I was playing basketball back, you know, in the early uh, 2000s, mid-2000s, I mean, AU basketball was big, you know, and, like, that was, like, the ultimate recruiting tool. Um, is it still like that now, or do you guys kind of focus more on just the high school games, or is AAU still as big as it's ever been? Yeah, I think it's uh, it, it's big. I think it's impactful. Um, I think that the AAU um, kind of scene and, and that process is where a lot of the early recruitment starts. Mm. You know, when you first see a kid, uh, because you can you can evaluate and watch so many AAU games at one time with the way the the tournaments and the calendar work out. And then as you go through the year and the recruitment comes later um, in the process, then I think it becomes more on the the family, the high school coach and uh, evaluating and building relationships through that process. So late in the year, like right now, we would have generally been doing a lot of stuff with the high schools, uh, whether it's you know watching workouts at the high school, uh, watching high school practices, watching high school, high school state tournaments, and, and all that stuff has been obviously canceled. And then we would be working on future classes, starting with the AAU tournaments in April and uh, in June and July. Tony Jasek with us, men's basketball coach at Jacksonville University. It's Fins Up Friday here on Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. As we continue to celebrate local sports in the area, and today is the day for Jacksonville University athletics. And right now we're talking a little hoops uh, with Tony Jasek. You know, you talk about the recruiting aspect of it. How much do you guys have to do? Uh, what You had a, a mixed bag. You had some seniors, but you also had a, a lot of young guys on this last year's roster uh, what do you have to fill looking forward to the 2020-21 season? Yeah, you know, we had we had three seniors on our team. Uh, all three of them were impactful, you know, most notably Dave Bell, um, you know, who you could argue was maybe the best big man in, in our league this year. Um, averaged a double-double and really had a good had a good senior year and impacted our team at a high level. So we're going to need to replace him. And then DeAnthony McCollum, who was a, a really solid wing, uh, wing player for us, and uh, Amani Santos. Uh, who played the point uh, throughout most of the season? So we got three uh, three guys we need to replace. We had two guys sitting out, 
in uh, Kevion Nolan, uh, transfer from Stanford, and Tyrese Davis, who, who may have been the freshman year, uh, freshman of uh, the year in our league two years ago, uh, before he got injured with a few games left in the season, sat out all last year, and we're certainly excited about getting him back. That's a look at uh, the JU Dolphins as you look ahead to 2020 and 2021. Uh, you also are doing some cool things with the facility, and, and uh, we talked to Alex Ricker-Gilbert earlier uh, that you're building that practice facility. Facilities are so important when it comes to college athletics, it feels like. Uh, how much of that is reality? How much do you guys bring kids to campus and, and that facility will, will win a kid over uh, when you get that thing built? I think it's, uh, you know, when you just talk about the general uh, recruiting and, and what what triggers kids to make decisions, I think that facilities and what they can see with their with their own eyes may be the biggest piece to it all. You know, you think about the, the world that these young people now live in. You know, everything is instant, you know, on their phone, on their computer. Oh, I see it and move on. You know, it's a 15-second, uh, you know, it's a 140-character tweet. So, so coming and being able to show them, actual facilities, actual uh, places where they can work and get better uh, and the improvements that we're making in the program and in the university, I think it's a critical piece. You uh, you look like you like this team that you had this past year uh, a, a lot. I don't know what that means. It just sounded like it when I was around you. Um, maybe you like every team, but I got a feeling coaches don't like every team uh, that they have. Uh, that just sometimes happens. But, but what was it about the makeup of the guys you've brought in and how much do you think, because of that, uh, you're kind of trending in a in, in the right direction, and hope hopefully in a, in a rapid way? Yeah, you know, I think uh, to your point, and you probably should never say it, you know, as a coach, but I do think I, I do think you like, you know, you, you enjoy teams. I mean, let's be honest, you're around people, and people have different personalities, people have different agendas. Uh, that's just the the reality of being around humans, and so you know we. We were trending in the right direction. You know, we had a good group a couple of years ago, and then we kind of took a step back in, in some critical areas, um, and we revamped that with the group we had this year. And uh, really liked the competitive spirit. I thought our guys, for the most part, um, they tried to do right. I thought they tried to do what we were asking them to do. We played a, a handful of young guys, and, you know, Arnold, Trey Sides, Deontay Wood, uh, Bryce Workman had a nice uh, sophomore year. And so it, it was just an enjoyable group to be around when – you know, their priorities were right. Uh, I thought it showed up in the way we played and the way we competed. And hopefully it'll be a, a launching pad for us moving forward, like you said. Coach, you talked a little bit about your team, you know, losing those seniors. And, and Bell obviously was a big part. You mentioned that already. And I remember watching, you know, him play against UNF, and he had a monster game. I and mean, the guy was an absolute beast in the post. And my question to you is, how hard is it nowadays to find guys like that, that just live in the post, that can be rebounding machines? Because if, if you look at the game now, it seems like everyone's kind of going to the three-point line, you know, and, and, and playing away from the rim. Are, are those guys like Bell hard to find in recruiting? Well, <laughs> take this the right way. No, they're not very hard to find. Yeah. I mean, they're really hard to get. <laughs> uh, we can, like, we can all see exactly what we're looking for. You know what I mean? It's a matter of getting them is the issue. And, uh, you know, when you look at our league, our league was very unique in that you could argue, uh, and I'm not trying to make bulletin board material for, for people next year uh, at all, but you could probably argue that, you know, the top four or five players in our league were all five men. You know, you got, you got Dave Bell, you had the two kids from, you had two kids from Liberty, you had Azajula, uh, at Lipscomb. You know, the league was, the league was very, very, uh, post heavy last year. And, you know, for us, we thought that Dave Bell, 
uh, did, did a lot of really good things. You know, I think he was one of two guys that averaged a double-double in the league. Um, and you go back to the story of, well, how did you get him? You know, his high school coach uh, played for us in Fort Wayne. And so when the, when the transfer, we decided to transfer with the coaching change at Ohio State, um, we had built a relationship and had a long-lasting relationship with, with his high school coach. And, you know, the, the process was pretty quick, pretty seamless because of that relationship. Yeah, I think the other cool thing is if you watch David Bell over the years here at Jacksonville University, you could tell you guys developed him too. I mean, he got better and better and, and had his best year as a defensive player of the year in the A-Sun this past season. Uh, you know, we talked about recruiting earlier. I was just wondering, I may start a committee uh, at some point to get a shot clock in high school sports uh, in yeah. basketball in the state of Florida. Would you be on it, please? <laughs> well, uh, you know, I think it's, it's interesting, you know, um, and – I think it's coming at some point. Um, you know, I think the biggest issue when you start putting stuff in the lower the level you get is, is can we find enough people to operate the shot clock correctly? Yeah. Or are we going to have to stop this game with no, you know, imagine all the pressure you're putting on the referees and the scores table to figure that all out. Uh, but I do think it's coming. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be, you know, two years, five years, seven years, but I do think, I think the game is trending that way and, and I think you'll see it. Uh, sooner than later. Yeah, and no, I will not be on your committee. I didn't think you would. I, 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 didn't, I, I don't have many soapboxes. That's yeah. one of them. Every year I go watch playoff basketball in high school, and I just can't believe we don't have a shot clock in high school basketball in the state of Florida. It's uh, It bothers the heck out of me. There are other things, too, but that one especially bothers me. Um, <laughs> I was a part of a high school game uh, as a player, uh, and much like uh, much like we heard earlier about your high school playing days, uh, I was a part of a hold the ball game. We we scored the first point in the first, in the first basket uh, in the first quarter, and the ball was held the, the the next seven minutes and thirty seconds. And it was a rivalry game. Uh, oh. And then we scored the first basket of the second quarter, and I think the halftime score was literally like six to four. Um, and when I I can't tell you the locker room when our coach went, I mean he bust Sardi's pass now. Uh, he went berserk about. You know, this guy across the, the guy across the way, we better have five first team all league guys voted. Da, da, da. I mean, he went off. It was awesome. How about that? But, uh, but you're right. It just, I mean, it's one of those deals where I'm completely in favor of being able to coach a team and be able to coach a game. Uh, but, but we got to be able to play the game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's the way I feel too. It's just, and it's like they're playing a different game. And so I think from a recruiting yeah. standpoint, I think all these other things from a competitive standpoint, it's like it's not the same sport. You're and doing that's really a disservice, man. Absolutely. It's really been one of my big, big things yeah. across all sports, whether it's football, baseball, basketball. Why don't we all have most of the same rules? You know, if there's a little yeah. variation here or there, a little wrinkle, that's okay. Yeah. But that's a big one. I mean, yeah. Yeah. don't have a shot yeah. clock in basketball. All right. Uh, big picture. Uh, who would have won the national championship this year in college basketball? Who do you think? Who'd you like? Boy. Uh, you know what, I think when you looked at uh, this year, I think that there were a lot of really unique stories that didn't get to play out, maybe more so than in the last few years when you look at teams like Dayton, uh, when you look at teams like uh, San Diego State. You know, you're talking about teams that played at a really, really, really high level uh, that, that may have been able to make a run. Uh, you know, I think the the traditional Blue Bloods are always going to be in the picture. You know, Michigan State, um Kansas, you know, those guys are always going to be right there. But but I think we really missed out on a unique, uh, not that any NCAA tournament isn't exciting, but but this one could have been, it could have been unique with, with the number of teams outside of those power fives that I think might have had a chance to, 
to make a deep run. Yeah, absolutely. Tony Jasek with us, men's basketball coach at Jacksonville University. Fins up Friday. Uh, let me piggyback that with, do you like that? Uh, like, I love it, but it doesn't matter what I think. I'm asking you what you think. The Blue Bloods are great for, for college basketball. It makes a tradition. But when we have the say early on the Gonzagas, right, or uh, George Mason, uh, you know, Butler before they became an every every year thing, mm-hmm. even a Creighton or whatever, those kind of names, it made it fun. Well, this year, we had it, man. Mm-hmm. We had Stephen yeah. Hall, who if you were like, you know, younger than 20, you'd never really even heard of Seton Hall that much, yeah. you know, unless you know the old Big East days. But you had... Oh, wait a minute now. Unless you remember Ramil Robinson and, and, and Glenn Rice beating him in the national championship game. Let's don't forget about the old Wolverines back in the day beating well, P.J. Carlissimo and the boys. Oh, that's right. But, you, again, <laughs> if you were 20 years or younger, you wouldn't remember that. I'm with you. Um, and then on top of you, even I'll give you this, Coach. Uh, on top of the San Diego States, like you said, the Dayton's, the Seton Halls, I even give you like a Florida State. You know, Florida State yes. who, who had a, a legitimate chance if they went on no a run question. to win the national title. I, my question is, do you like it like that? Do you like it when you've got big names, small names, Cinderella types, and even schools that you know but you're not used to being like basketball schools kind of in the mix where a dozen teams might have won it? Well, and, and what I'll, the way I'll respond to that is, you know, when you look at just the emotion that you just kind of went through that uh, that little deal with, that that is exactly why it's the greatest sporting event on the planet. Um, is is because everybody's got a shot that's in it. You've got small schools, you've got big schools. Uh, you know the the everything is magnified from the officiating to the crowd. You know the the whole deal is magnified, and, and that's why it's such a great event. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Tony Jasek, men's basketball coach, uh, Jacksonville University, with us. All right, we're going to leave you with this, and uh, hopefully you don't mind sharing a, a little bit. I didn't even I didn't prep you for this. Um, so oh boy, share, share what you want. <laughs> Pressure's on. Well, it's a yeah, serious yeah, yeah. note, though. I'm uh, not much a share. I'm not much of a sharer now. <laughs> and you're not. You're not getting any more strokes on the golf course when this thing passes. Either. Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I, my short game's getting way better just practicing in the backyard. But it couldn't get much worse. You get balls. You get balls in palm trees for goodness sake. I love the way he's talking to you right now, Brent. Oh, I love it. <laughs> and the the actuality of that is he's spot on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm glad to hear. I was there. I was there. I hit a ball. I played played uh, golf with Tony Jack. One time, I think, uh, I don't know, we were somewhere in Ponte Vedra, and uh, I hit a ball in a palm tree that yeah. never came down. It's still up there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he likes to share that story. <laughs> it's a good story. Uh, but you you have been here since, uh, remind me, uh, 2014. Yeah, 2014. Okay. And for you and your family, I know you like Jacksonville a, a lot. Um, but you guys wouldn't, have had some, wouldn't tell you if I didn't. Yeah, I'll you don't say that. <laughs> uh, you, but you guys have had some really interesting and sometimes challenging times. You and your family and everybody at JU, uh, from the hurricanes uh, did some damage to your home, um, which I think was a long process, to your home gymnasium of Swisher Gymnasium, where you couldn't play for a bit because of one of those hurricanes, and now uh, you're, you're coaching your team through this pandemic as well. Uh, how's, how's the family holding up? How's everything? What's this been like? Um, and, and I'm sure you're glad to see the other side of it <laughs> at some point. Well, yeah. And I think, you know, when you, when you, when you visit about, obviously, uh, the, the early stuff is kind of, you know, the, the hurricane stuff is unique, but the pandemic deal, everybody's dealing with that. And, you know, there's, there's no, there's no, there's no story that's unique. You know what I mean by that is everybody, 
this is impacting everyone. And, you know, hopefully we can get here to, to the end of the month and, and we'll, we'll see what, what is ahead of us for next month. You know, I think that's the only way that you can go about this. I think any, any conversations about stuff in September or October or November, like there's no point. Um, you know, what we need to do is we need to figure out how can we, what can we do between now and the end of the month to put our, put ourselves in the best situation to make a decision for June or excuse me, for May. And then once we get to May 1st, all right, let's make a decision for the month of May. And uh, just trying to move through this and work through it uh, as best we can. Um, so from that standpoint, we're, we're, we're the same one as everybody. But, yeah, to have your uh, to have your house uh, <laughs> have, have a hurricane come through your house while you're in it, now, that's a whole other story. Uh, probably poor parenting on our part. Uh, but, but to have the hurricane rip your roof off while you're in it and uh, our crew – I'm trying to think, Brian. I think we lived in four places during that basketball season as we moved from one to the other to try to get through the rebuilding of our house. So it's been awesome. It's been awesome. <laughs> it's been challenging. Coach, I got one last question for you, man. You kind of mentioned Glenn Rice a little bit. You know, you're from the area of the good old state of Michigan. Uh, I grew up in Wisconsin, you know, so shout out to the Midwest. But my question to you is, growing up, you know, I mean, Michigan, they had a lot of guys to root for. Who was the biggest influence in you from that Michigan, those Michigan basketball runs? Because I'll, I'll quick tell you mine. Um, the very first basketball jersey that I ever got, was a number 54 from Michigan. And may he rest in peace, Robert Tractor Trailer, man. Like, watching that guy play for Michigan. Tractor um, Trailer. It, it was fantastic, we kid, man. We had a kid in Fort Wayne that looked just like him, Steve Forbes, who actually now lives in Jacksonville. Uh, he's from, he, he was from kind of uh, Claremont, Florida. And he went about 6'9". When we got him, he was 6'9", about 370. Wow. And uh, he ate lunch every, his sit-out year, he ate lunch every single day in our office. And we got him down to, Got him down to about 320, and uh, then got him down to about 300. He was uh, preseason player of the year in the league. So I like the big fellas too. Yeah. So you was that who your guy? Is that who you're a big fan of though? Tractor trailer? No, oh, gosh, there were so you know like Glenn Rice was was such a good player yeah, when I was yeah. growing up. You know yeah. the other thing. This is a little bit as I went through it. Dan Marley was at Central Michigan, and uh, my folks went to Central Michigan, so we went and watched a bunch of those games. Um, and then as I was kind of high school-ish is when the Fab Five kind of made their run. Uh, so it was, a, it was a cool time during during both the, the Fab Five and then, you know, Glenn Robinson and, and excuse me, Glenn Rice and Ramil Robinson. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, that's good stuff. Uh, the good Michigan days. And, by the way, recent teams have been pretty darn good, oh, too, yeah. Yeah. Uh, for, yeah, absolutely. for Michigan. Tony Jasek, head uh, coach, men's basketball at Jacksonville University. Hey, hope you and your family are doing well. Uh, let's get – Forbes head back to his hometown of Claremont, go south, end up at Streamsong Resort, and play a little golf uh, when this all clears. How about that? You got my number. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, man. Take care, guys. All right, it's Tony Jasic, uh, men's basketball coach. He's a lot of fun. By the way, he can play golf. Yeah, pretty pretty talented, huh? He's a good golfer. Okay, he can. Uh, so I, I tell you what, I, we talked about it earlier. This facility is really going to help Ju help Tony. Uh, Swisher Gymnasium is a really cool place on a lot of levels, but that alone, without another facility and a practice facility yeah, yeah. in this day and age, has no doubt hampered Jacksonville University over the last ten or fifteen years, even before Tony's time, uh, when it comes to recruiting. Uh, so uh, I think that's going to be a big, big get uh, for that program. We come back, we flip back to football. And then later on, we'll talk some baseball with Chris Hayes from JU. Fins Up Friday continues on ESPN 690.
you know, I've told you this whole thing has been a battle since day one, nonstop, all day and all night since this pandemic started to uh, to put on this event on April 18th. Today we got a call from the highest level you can go at Disney and the highest level uh, of, of ESPN. And uh, it's been an amazing uh, partnership. Uh, ESPN has been very, very good to us. And the powers that be there asked me to stand down and not do this event next Saturday. Well, that's Dana White right there. Yeah. And shortly after the show, or maybe it was right happening right when we <laughs> ended the show, yeah. I saw the tweet, mm-hmm. and UFC's off yep. for the foreseeable future. Yeah. Dana White, Bummer. they said, hey, tone it down, dude. Exactly. And he listened. He did. Money well, talks. Well, <laughs> and listen, he had no choice but to listen, right? Like, hey, if ESPN tells you to taper it down, well, then you better taper it down a little bit. Yeah, I mean, UFC 249, it was going to be a barn burner, Brent. You know, in the, in, in the landscape of sports right now, it probably would have did pretty well. Um, I think that he made a tactical error, though, by not putting it, putting it just on regular ESPN. I think ESPN would have killed with the ratings. Uh, why make it a pay-per-view if no one really knows like who the main event would be, especially Justin Gagey? He's not a, a really big guy to the casual fan, but... It doesn't matter anymore. And, you know, Dana White going out and trying to purchase an island and having a, essentially a fight island, um, I just couldn't imagine that being cool with the commissions of any state or country for that being said. So, yeah, unfortunately, you know, the UFC is kind of falling in line with every other sport, which, you know, is probably for the best, and we'll just have to wait and see when they come back as well. All right. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about uh, that as the weeks go along and see where that goes, because you were against that anyway. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I was as kind a, of... You're, you're a UFC, you're an yeah, MMA guy. I was kind but, of indifferent, but, I mean, listen, you get, keep in mind, though, Brent, as, as a fighter, like, you don't have a union, man, okay? Yeah. So, like, no one's fighting for you right now to try to get your money. So you essentially get paid only when you fight. So there's a lot of fighters right now that spend a lot of the time in their trade that have nowhere else to fall back on that are probably needed some money, though. Yeah, and if you time. think about it from a business standpoint, yeah. a, a league and a, and a sport that's trying to make gains, mm-hmm. even though they've made huge gains, still trying to make gains with casual fans and people that aren't into it, exactly. this could have been opportunity. So you get the risk. Exactly. And keep credit to ESPN as well, right? Because this was ESPN's call. It wasn't Dana White's call. If yeah. Dana White had his way, the fight would go on. But ESPN comes out when, let's be honest, ESPN probably needs some content right now. So props to ESPN, you know, for stepping up and not giving Dana White the choice and, as well. And here's the deal. Listen, I continue to say when it's when when things get back to normal, it will be all back to normal. It won't yeah. be the slow rollout. And that's one of the reasons why. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, right now everybody's losing a lot of money. And that's how you know how serious this is when people are losing money. I mean, mm-hmm. that's just it. That's the way it is. I mean, and I think people are hesitant to be like even Dana White was willing to be. For a bunch of reasons. One, you could take a PR hit. Two, you could take a, a, a litigious hit, if that's a word. I like it if it is, though. <laughs> Look it up. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, what do Las Vegas have that one at? I don't know. Man. Is that the, even a word? Off the books, I think. Yeah. <laughs> like, litigation's a word. Is litigious a word? Can you look it up for me, please? I appreciate it. Thanks. How do you even go about spelling that one? I don't know, no but idea. it's the first time in my 42 years I've ever Lit- used it. So I hope it's a word. Where did it come from? Okay, whatever. I, don't, I, <laughs> go mean, on. I, I just legal As wasn't going to fit. <laughs> uh, hey, so I think that's what people are going to be afraid. I, I think people stopped playing mm-hmm. in the early stages because they were afraid of legal action. Yeah. If somebody got sick and, and God forbid, died and all this stuff. Yep. They were afraid. That was the the motivation to stop, mm-hmm. whether we want to admit that or not. Yeah. And then there's also a do the right thing part of it, mm-hmm. but I think it'll be the same on the rollout side. You're gonna put your foot out to do that. 
Uh, and then there is a political play in there somewhere along the way, I'm sure, for some. Yeah. Uh, so uh, which which drives me nuts in this thing that there is the political side of it. But there is. I mean, that's just the reality of the world. So we, where live we live in. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and like I said, I, we talked about this, I think, with uh, Jason Fitz a little bit. I wasn't necessarily mad at Dana White for trying to keep this thing to to, to go on, you know, because the reason why the UFC is where it's at, Brent, is because of guys like Dana White. It's because of guys that took risks. It's because guys went left when other sports went right, you know, and, and the UFC, it was chastised. It was made fun of when it first premiered. But Dana White, you know, kept his head on the ground and said, check this out. We're going to build it up and we're going to do our thing. And he did. So. I see where he's coming from, kind of like Vince McMahon a little bit too, waiting for the last second yeah. for WrestleMania to be canceled. I mean, they think differently, right? And it's not that they're they're arrogant to the fact that there's a world pandemic going on right now. I'm sure I'm sure they're accustomed to that. I'm sure they're sensitive to that. But also with their businesses, the reason why they are where they are right now is because they take the risks. Isn't it crazy so, though? Like the NFL doesn't have to take a risk, and it seems like they kind of did a little bit by going yeah. business as usual. Sure, they didn't even need to. Maybe no, they're on the complete flip side. They're so high. On the list that it, it, even if they dropped down and took a little bad press, yeah. it wouldn't have mattered. You know, maybe. And, and let's be honest. I'm happy the draft's going to be at the same time. You know, but if they would have announced, you know what, it's going to be a month. Uh, you know, before it's going to be. Uh, I'm sorry, it's going to be like a month after whatever. I wouldn't have cared. I'd have been like, yeah, sounds about right because everything else is getting canceled. So. From the NFL's perspective, it's the draft. No one's at risk. I guess I, I get that standpoint, but um, it's only going to help them, Brent. Let's be honest, man. It's it, only going to help him now. It is only going to help It's the only him. show in town. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hey, we're going to get to superstar players. I want to get to that topic in just a couple moments. Uh, we'll get to Steven on the line in just a minute, too. But it is Fins Up Friday, and I want to make sure I give some love to some of the other sports at JU. Yeah. Uh, Tony Jassick, kind enough to call in. Uh, we just had him on. Uh, Alex Ricker-Gilbert, athletic director. Chris Hayes, baseball coach, will join us in a bit. We, we can't. Have, there's so many sports on the college campuses, we can't have everybody on. <laughs> sure. But I do want to mention some of, some of the other sports along the way in the final hour, if we can, since it's JU Day. It's yep. Uh, uh, fins up Friday here on Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 as we continue to celebrate local sports in our area, and I think they earn it and they deserve it. Uh, women's lacrosse, Mindy McCord and, and Paul McCord, uh, really uh, cool folks and, and been there a long time uh, for uh, the JU Women's Lacrosse Program. They were 3-1, and one, by the way, to start their season uh, before everything uh, got shut down. Men's lacrosse, John Galloway. If you don't know the name John Galloway in town, Look him up. I always say this. I try. I've said it before on the show. I, he's like the Michael Jordan of yeah. men's lacrosse. Yeah. And he's the head coach at Ju. Uh, he's still probably somewhere in the pantheon, and I'm not. I don't know it well enough. Yeah. He can still play at an elite level. Mm-hmm. He has recently while he was coaching. So he's probably still world class even now mm-hmm. <laughs> as a coach uh, in men's lacrosse. And I think. I've predicted, I don't know if I guarantee this one, and I sure as heck didn't put the Ruth's Chris stake on it like the draft, but I think I predicted that I might have said in a five- or six-year window, I think uh, men's lacrosse can win a national title. I think, I think, yeah, he, I think I he can do saying. it that quick wow. uh, in, in terms of getting recruits, and we'll see what happens. They were 3-3 three and three, uh, on the young season before uh, that got postponed. We just talked men's basketball. How about a shout-out to Darnell Haney and his staff and the women's basketball team? A very good program at JU. Coach Yo left it in a good place, and Darnell Haney has picked up. So uh, we'll shout-out to some of the other athletic programs on the campus of uh, Jacksonville University before we uh, leave the show. And Chris Hayes will join us in just a little bit to talk about the baseball program. But – I had this uh, topic and this idea come about because of Tiger Woods. Yep. We talked a little bit at the top of the show, superstars. Well, 
Tiger Woods is about as complicated as you can get. I, I like Tiger Woods in an unhealthy way. Yeah. It's I don't understand it, quite frankly. Yeah. Uh I like Tiger Woods the golfer. Sure. By the way, too. Mm-hmm. Like uh, my mom is is conflicted on this because well, I hope you like Tiger Woods the golfer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. But, but you know Tiger Woods off the course is it, I, I don't really like want to be like Tiger off the course. Sure. Right. You yeah. know. Um, and that's the fun. That's the almost the topic of this of this uh, today. Mm-hmm. Is there's there's a separation, mm. and. Is a separation, I think, from a fandom standpoint. I don't think many people out there say, hey, I want to be that guy off the field, off the court, off the whatever, or I love that guy because of what he does. Off. Now, there are some. I mean, mm-hmm. Tim Tebow is a great example of it, right? Mm-hmm. But we don't like Tiger because of whoever he is. Maybe he's a good dad, it looks like now, or whatever. We like him because he wins golf tournaments. He does stuff that nobody else can do, and there's some magnetic electricity around him that we all kind of just get get brought into. Sure. Uh, And more now than maybe ever before, because it used to be a polarizing thing, and now it's almost like a feel-good story type of thing. Yeah. And that, I think, is, is... our superstar athletes, some of them are like that. Some are simplistic. We mentioned Tom Brady earlier. I think the Derek Jeters of the world, pretty simple. I think LeBron James, although he's a complicated individual, I think complex individual, yeah. I don't think his stardom is complicated. We don't see him on the back pages. We don't hear him on TMZ. We don't see him in a lot of conflict. And so I think there, there's a simplification of that when it's around LeBron James, one of the, the, the biggest icons in the world in mm-hmm. sports. But I do think if you take Tiger Woods, there is this complex nature of him as a sports superstar. I think even Michael Jordan had that to a degree. Think about Mike Tyson, man. We were drawn to Mike Tyson, even though none of us would probably want to hang out in the same room of the young Mike Tyson. We'd be scared as hell. Of course. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that's what I'm getting at. Isn't it wild? Like, I I was watching Tiger, and, and, you know, I'm trying to – I always self-reflect. I'm like, what the heck do you like Tiger so much for, man? Sure. (laughs) But it is – I'm fascinated watching Tiger Woods play golf. It is not – there's nothing like it. There are a few things in my lifetime from from one sports figure Mm – that that I enjoy more than watching Tiger Woods play golf. Sure. I loved Dan Marino as a kid. For a little bit there, I loved Nomar Garcia Parra and Wade Boggs mm-hmm. and loved watching play. I absolutely loved watching Larry Bird play. Mm-hmm. And to that degree, I love watching Tiger Woods play. Yeah. And and it's fascinating. But they're complex figures sometimes. Michael Jordan was that way for everybody. Everybody loved Michael Jordan. But off the court, we wondered a little bit. Correct. You know, yeah. well, was there the gambling going on? What else other stories? And in today's day and age, what other stories would we have heard sure. about Michael Jordan? Mm-hmm. Tyson was like that. Man, I could, I'd pay. I'd wait till one o'clock in the morning at nine years old to watch Tyson fight. <laughs> uh, you know, whatever time it was. Yeah. And yet nobody wants to be like Mike. Not that Mike. No. No, I hear you. You know I, what I mean? I'm, so that's kind of what I'm getting at. It's it's fascinating to me. Yeah, I remember, you know, speaking of Mike Tyson, the only fight that I actually got to watch live in per, like you know, on pay per view, was I remember it was Tyson Holyfield, and the first one when he bit the guy's ear off. And I remember my mom, uh, and my mom's boyfriend, we all went to the bowling alley, and they were showing it. And like, this is the bowling alley in the middle of Central Wisconsin. Okay, they don't show anything, print. Okay, like this was a big deal. And I remember, and I forgot, I must have been like, man, probably. Probably eight or nine years old. Definitely past my bedtime, but really cool. My mom let me go watch. 
But anyways, like I remember watching Tyson, man. And keep in mind, when he fought Holyfield, end of his career, right? Yeah, so was, like it was, it was on the back. That was where it like got that. bizarre. Exactly. Yeah. But like I remember sitting, you know, in the middle of the bowling alley, backed by the bar, and just watching him proceed to bite Evander Holyfield's ear off. And I remember just looking around, thinking like. Okay, this isn't boxing, right? Like, this isn't normal, you know? Like, I need some reassurance here. Like, what I just saw was out of the ordinary, and obviously it was. But, like, if you're talking about, you know, me growing up and my childhood and, like, some of the the influences of, uh, I guess, of my generations and and my culture, you know, and you brought the question, and I actually talked about him a little bit, and to me he sticks out for a variety of reasons. And I'm not sure how how in-depth you are with this guy, but Tony Hawk. Tony Hawk for my generation was as big as it gets, okay? Because, first of all, let's just kind of set the scene a little bit here. Tiger Woods, very popular, right? He he has 14 video games, Brent. You know, he has the the Tiger Woods PGA Tour. I mean, he's successful. Tony Hawk has 17 video games, okay? He's got Tiger beat there. Now, what a day and age where we measure things in video games. Well, well, I'm just saying. It's it's a good illustration. I'm just illustrating the point here. But with Tony Hawk, it's funny because his personality, and I'm sure you remember Tony Hawk through the 900, right? Because there, there's a time on ESPN where X Games in the summertime, dude, that, that was the hot ticket, all right? Like, ratings probably never have been better on ESPN. But, like, the sport of skateboarding, it's funny because it was comprised of two groups, Brent. I'm about to give you a skateboarding crash course real quick. I can't wait. The sport, bring me back to my days when I used to do that a little bit. I like it, man. So the, the sport of skateboarding had two quicks. You had your vert guys and you had your street guys, right? And the street guys were kind of more of the rougher on the edges types. And the vert guys, they were more of, like, the cookie cutter, wearing khaki shorts and everything like that. Skateboarders, right? Well, here comes a guy named Tony Hawk, you know, and and ESPN hypes him up and everything. It's going to be the first ever 900. He's going to land it. And what Tony Hawk was able to do, Brent, was he was able to unite two groups of skaters, right? Because the the, the street skaters, the the rough around the edges guys, they never had any respect for anybody that skated Burt, right? Because you guys are cookie cutter. You're riding these giant half pipes. Nah, man, skateboarding's done in the streets. You know, you're supposed to be running from the cops, not at a skate park going up a half pipe. But Tony Hawk, what he was able to do, he was so good. And he, he landed that 900 he essentially united both sides, and that's where the popularity came in. Now, all of a sudden, it, wasn't, it didn't matter if you're a street skater, if you're a vert skater. Dude, you're a skateboarder. You're cool. You're like Tony Hawk, and that's why his video games were so successful, too. And his personality, it was cookie-cutter, man. He was like the Tim Tebow of skateboarding. He was just a, a solid family guy, you know? Like, he didn't do anything wrong, and it's kind of against that skateboarding mentality. So, Tony Hawk, to me, is a big guy growing up. That's interesting. Uh, that's yeah. a good one. Now, see, the, another guy I think of here, mega star, mm-hmm. but conflicted and complex. Again, uh, it, there's the, when I'm thinking mega star, I mean, you're thinking on the on the tigers of the world. Sure. Now, listen, if you go all the way back in the day, I mean, I'm sure from the Babe Ruths to the Mickey Mantles, mm-hmm. They were complex and conflicted at times. I'm not sure there was a simplicity to those guys, yeah. you know, behind the scenes, off the field. Again, how would they have been shown in today's world? That's why I think this is a little bit better of a modern-day megastar topic. Mm-hmm. But here's one that uh, I just put on the list and opened it up for others to share. You know, I think Michael Jordan on a low-key is in that category mm-hmm. uh, because, again, if he was around social media time, I wonder if we would have heard more. And yeah. we already had theories, and it'll be very interesting to see this documentary coming up. I can't wait. Uh, I, I think from 
the football world, I mentioned like a Deion Sanders type. I, not a lot of football guys jump to mind uh, in that regard. Favre to me, man. But but he was he was conflicted a little bit. He was because know? again, it, you didn't know whether to love or hate, and you didn't like how it ended at times. Mm-hmm. Yet he still kind of would rise and be, rise up a little there, well, even with Minnesota, and bring him yeah, to the playoffs. But you know? I, I mean, I'm referring to. I mean, he had a giant pain pill addiction. He did. You know that was. Yeah. Well, I mean, he yep. he actually wrote a book about it. And like I remember growing up as a kid too, like that that was a big deal, man. Yeah. You know, good so, call. Yeah. Uh, I was thinking of Alex Rodriguez. Yeah. I mean, maybe maybe one of the poster child of of yeah. of, of that kind of. In this kind of topic, mm-hmm. and I'm still conflicted on a Rod. Like, didn't like a Rod, the baseball player, at all. Mm. Now let me ask you this question: You didn't like him because why? Because the contracts that he got? No, because, because he, of the Yankees. And, because of the Yankees. Well, and, but, but I'm saying before that, though, before the Yankees. Nah, so, I didn't. Did they reach a new level Seattle, when he went to the Yankees? Texas. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I would say I would, I would when he was with Seattle. He's this young. You can't you could not like him in Seattle. He's this young rising superstar. But Texas, then when he went the 250 to Texas, million dollar yeah. contract did it, that put it him on the map, him. man. Yeah, yes. it changed, it, people didn't like that. People don't like when you're making all this money and they're not sure you really should. And when Correct. you're resetting the market on it. Mm-hmm. Now this day and age, if he made that kind of money, nobody would blink an eye. <laughs> no, it's right? pocket change these but, days. But you know the whole hitting the glove out of the way against the Red Sox, all that. You know, it just became a thing. And, and you even wondered sometimes if even the Yankees guys liked him. Yeah, you, you did. Yeah, I actually wonder. What's funny with A Rod is I like A Rod in the booth. Yeah, I really do. Like, mm-hmm. I think he's pretty good at it. Mm-hmm. I think he's become more of a down to earth kind of person. I don't know if it's more J Lo related or maybe because we hear him in the booth on 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 uh, broadcasts. Like, I actually don't mind A Rod as much as I thought I would forever. Yeah. So maybe it's just me that's conflicted more so than him. But I think he is a an interesting character. Outside of his superstardom, uh, it's just wild. It's a, I well, guess the answer is you don't have to be conflicted or it, or or um, controversial but to be a, a star. Because again, I, yeah. I give you LeBron and Jeter and those kind of guys. Or Brady. Sure, no, yeah, and you're absolutely right. I would say they're the more of the outliers because I think. People, for whatever reason, they can relate to more of the confliction stuff because I guess they love to see the comeback story. Yeah, that's a good. Prime point. example right now, Conor McGregor. All right, Conor McGregor is a global superstar. Is he the best fighter in MMA? Absolutely not. I I don't know if he's even top five right now, pound for pound, right? But he's definitely the most popular. And when we talk about a guy, we talked about the show a couple times. I mean, this guy's been in a lot of trouble, Brent. You know, and it's a catch twenty two, right? Because when you make the walk in that cage, you have to have a screw loose, okay? No yes. no, no basic human would walk in a cage and say, you know what, let's pay me some money, I'm going to get punched in the face. So, like, I can see the standpoint of Conor McGregor where it's like, yeah, of course you're going to, maybe you're going to party a little too hard sometime to kind of shake off some of those demons and everything, but then he takes it to another level, right? Like, he, he throws a dolly through a bus and injures some fighters. See, he, he supposedly punches an old man over his, a debate about whiskey. You know, he keeps doing these things, and, you know... <sighs> A part of me wants to say, well, like, well, we shouldn't celebrate this kind of guy. Like, why, why, why do we keep on giving Conor McGregor the podium? Why do we keep on putting the cameras in front of Conor McGregor's face after he hits an old guy? Why are we doing this after he has some some allegations, you know, with with abuse and things like that? Yeah, just helping out his brand. Exactly. Like, what, why are we doing that? But at the same time, whenever that guy enters the cage, and it doesn't matter if he's got a three a three fight losing streak, doesn't matter if he gets embarrassed by Floyd Mayweather, we still tune in to watch the show, you know. And that's what it is. It's not even the. It's like Tiger King. 
it doesn't seem like it's real life. Like Conor McGregor is to the point now where he's a spectacle, man. Like he's like Ric Flair. Like you just turn in to watch the show. Yeah. You're not sure if it's going to end good or end bad, but you got to be a part of it. You have to be the guy that says, you know what, I, I saw Conor McGregor. That's a great point, man. It doesn't feel real life, which makes them superstars in sports to a degree. Tiger, yeah. right? Yeah. Nobody's played the game ever like him. Exactly. Uh, you know, but. Then there's the other guys like Conor McGregor, yeah. like Mike Tyson. And see, Tyson had the best of both worlds. Yeah. And he was really one of the early parts of it. Mm-hmm. He was a guy, nobody could do what he did, first yeah. of all. But then nobody could be the kind of character, Tiger King-esque, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, Conor exactly. McGregor on steroids, exactly. you know, yeah. that he was. Yeah. And maybe it's the best example of what I'm talking about. I mean, it took a little bit to come to it. Yeah. But he might be the best example of it. Well, and to me, I think, I mean, Tyson might be the best example just from the standpoint of, listen, when he was a world champion, Brent, he wasn't that old, man. Okay, like you're talking about a kid who was the the king of the world, who was the baddest man on the planet in his 20s. Can you imagine that? Imagine being a 20 year old kid and everyone telling you that you're the baddest dude in the world because he was, you know, and unfortunately for Mike Tyson, he had a lot of guys around that kind of took advantage a little bit. Now, don't get me wrong. Mike Tyson didn't do himself any favors, right? Like he, he still had that personality. He still had the quotes and everything like that. But his group around him did him zero favors. Yeah. Now, one could argue, well, Probably a good thing that they didn't do him in favor. It was like, yeah, Tyson did some jail time, but that Tyson came out of jail and he's probably more popular than ever. Like people were geared up to see him return. You know, he comes up and he's like, Wow, he's been doing push ups every single day. Can't wait to watch him fight again. But in terms of Mike Tyson, look at him now. You know, like he's still doing some stuff, right? Like he's got his own cartoon on Cartoon Network on Adult Swim. He's got his own one man show that HBO produced. You know, like he was in the hangover. Like he's an actor now. Like to me, Mike Tyson is the ultimate story of of a guy who was at the top of his game. There was the scrutiny, there was the back and forth, there was the controversy. But you know what? He came away from that a better person, I think. Yeah, it's interesting and, and still kind yeah, of beloved in yeah. a weird way. And you guess know? what? The stories don't always end like that. You know, it, it's it's really not that much different than rock stars and actors sure they're very flawed usually yeah they live a life that everybody kind of says hey i would love to live but they have so many not not across the board it's a blanket statement but yeah. so many with demons and and again i'm not sure you really want to live their life and deal with what they deal with but yeah. we love them embrace but, them and 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 it's a it's a weird affinity toward our superstars whether it's sports or outside of sports i want to ask you this question though right because when we talk about you know the the struggles, the the ebbs and flows of professional athletes. Well, let's analyze the times that we're living right now, though, right? Like, if an athlete does something, everyone knows about it. And you know, and, and we live in this cancel culture now, where if an actor makes a mistake, and I'm not trying to stick up for anybody or you know call anybody out, but I'm saying you know if an actor makes a mistake, whether he cheats on a spouse or something like that, you know, the, then that guy's gonna be canceled. So my question to you is, is it kind of a sign of the times too, Brent? Because like wholeheartedly, I can say if Mike Tyson would have been around these days. There's no way Mike Tyson would, co- would be able to coexist wow. with, 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 with society. It would have been you know, interesting. Like, now, boxing they would not and MMA, have MMA skirted yeah, that a little bit. They, they absolutely did. But I even think like Tiger Woods back in the day with like the whole, you know, the mix up with, with his wife and everything. And, you know, the car accident. Like, imagine if Twitter was a big thing then. You know, like, how would, how would the world have reacted now? I just think, you know, society is so hypersensitive yeah. where if a professional athlete falls now, man, there may be no coming back. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and maybe that's, maybe in that sense, it's a good point. I hadn't thought about it, but Tiger might be the, the last great comeback story in that yeah. sense. Or, or or Vic, too. Well, you know? and that's what Josh just said, Michael Vic. Uh, Barnes 23 said Michael Irvin. Not yeah. bad calls. Again, I'm not sure Irvin, Vic probably was, but I'm not sure Michael Irvin was mega star 
like Tiger and those guys. I don't yeah. feel like it, Tiger and Tyson S, but it's a good point. It's not a bad but example. Vic's a good one, yeah. yeah Vic's a good one. Yeah. Uh, Steven uh, is on the line right now. Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Thanks for listening, man. Sorry to keep you waiting, but we were on a different topic. What you got? Uh, I got a question. I mean, you guys are my pretty, pretty much my sports talk outlet, but uh, you guys aren't streaming on YouTube right now, and I'm from Brevard. Your radio station don't come in that good. Yeah, but, the, <laughs> not in Brevard, probably not as much, although we do get pretty far. Yeah, YouTube's been a struggle the last couple of days. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, we're working on it. We're not really sure why we can't get it out on that, but you can also uh, check it out on Twitter and Facebook uh, if you usually watch on uh, YouTube. All right, well, I'll do that. But uh, my question for you guys is uh, looking at what left, what's left on free agency – could you see maybe the Jags taking a poke at anybody like Eli Apple, the cornerback from the Saints, it's still out there on free agency, free to for the taking? Maybe a third down back and Devontae Freeman from Atlanta is still out there. Could you possibly think that the Jags would take a pick at anybody? Yeah, Stephen, thanks for the call, man. Appreciate it. Uh, thanks for listening to Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. By the way, as I say that, you can also ESPN690.com on the stream. Alexa, you can get us on 10 different platforms. So just look up ESPN 690 Jacks on whatever platform uh, that you have, whether it's audio or video and audio. And uh, even if the YouTube is down, uh, you should be able to get us, whether it's in your car, on your computer, at home, um, Alexa, uh, Facebook, Twitter, all the rest of them. So uh, thanks for listening, though. We appreciate it. That's a good question. There are some big names still out there. I mean, he mentioned Freeman. You always Freeman. bring up Chris Thompson from yeah, Washington. And, and by the way, dude, should we completely rule out that like Clowney could be in play if the price drops and, yeah. and is dropping? Or could yeah. the Jags sneak in? I guess they could. I don't see it happening, but I guess they could. No, absolutely. I mean, you know, I think, uh, you know, he mentioned Eli Apple, who I'm not a big Eli Apple guy, right? Um, if you're going to bring him in. You're not going to bring him in as the number one corner. And in my opinion right now, if the Jaguars do have a hole in the secondary, it's possibly maybe finding that number one corner. Trey Herndon could be that guy going forward, but how confident are you with him? With Eli Apple, man, he started out in New York. He struggled there. He struggled as a two-corner in New Orleans. I don't see Eli Apple coming to Jackson unless it's for the low, low price. Um, and I think the other guy he named was Freeman, Devontae Freeman. Who Devontae Freeman, you know, he had some good years in Atlanta, but to me, he's not a third down back, right? He's kind of the bell cow type. Tevin Coleman was the third down back in Atlanta. And I'd rather go after Chris Thompson right now because he's definitely a threat that you want to use in the receiving game, obviously. And Gruden has some experience with him. Freeman, on the other hand, not so... Uh, utilizing the receiving game as uh, Thompson was. Yeah, but interesting. Uh, I kind of feel like <laughs> it's over <laughs> in terms of know, free agency, yeah. but there are some names still out there. Hey, it's Fins Up Friday. Shout out, too, to the beach volleyball team and the volleyball team on the campus of Jacksonville University, both soccer teams, men and women, as well. We want to recognize all the sports on uh, the campus of JU. You know what? The only sport I've ever... I actually, I've watched the basketball games, of course, but I actually went to JU to watch a sailing event one time. They did have a sailing team as well. That so, is awesome. So, so and so rowing. And rowing too as well, so give them some credit uh, as well. I'm oh, trying to get them all in. They've okay. sports well, I'm, over there. Saying, I'm trying to show everybody some love, man. I love it, including baseball. Chris Hayes joins us next. We'll talk a little ball on ESPN 690 on a Fins Up Friday. Got, got any more brain busters? I, even I know that one. What is it? 
Tiger Woods 2005, uh, the chip at 16. He told you. <laughs> Dang no it. I try no to sell way it. you do that. I try to sell you, it. You, you, you should have, like, struggled through <laughs> oh, that. You man. gave too many I'm details, so man. I'm so cocky. You Dang. gave too many details. Dang. Sorry, Coos. That was my fault, man. It's all good. I have to go back to the Daniel Day-Lewis school of acting to... Improve on that one. It is that oh. is so good. I was telling, I actually showed Ty that he had seen it, but I showed Ty the kids and uh, Steph again. And what if you wanted to, and maybe people have done it, like uh, thirty for thirty or whatever, on that shot mm. because of obviously what it was and it's Tiger and it's just another electric moment. But I think the bigger thing and it's, what I don't know exactly is the time frame of Nike and where it's like biggest. You know, surge was now obviously Jordan with the shoes and everything, but there was a new surge with Tiger and on that clip, as the ball takes one last rotation in, it gets hung (laughs) up on the edge and the Nike Nike sign, sign. the Nike logo on the golf ball is right there. Yeah. And I mean, that is a mega you. I bet if you talk to executives at Nike, the value in that shot, how many times it's been shown since all those kind of things. Sure. Well, that swoosh is right there, just like we're wearing right here, because we got some uh, Jacksonville baseball shirts, courtesy of Chris Hayes, our next guest, uh, right here on Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Hey, Coach, thanks for joining us on a Fins Up Friday. Oh, fellas, it's great to be here, man. That's some good-looking swag you got on us. I know know that. Feels great, man. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. I was worried because I didn't have anything to wear today, and all of a sudden Brent comes in rocking some some merchandise. I was like, well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. <laughs> well, thank glad, you. Glad we get something for you. Yeah, yeah, and not only that, I mean, Austin doing his show shirtless uh, for three hours probably wouldn't have been a great scene. Numbers would have never been higher, Brent. <laughs> Millions. Millions like upon millions. millions. They, exactly. They wouldn't have listened to what we were saying. They were trying There's to figure out. There's a lot of housewives out. at home right now, Brent. Nothing to do. All right? <laughs> they would be trying to figure out and interpret all of your tattoos. <laughs> oh, that's true, too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Good luck with that. Coach, how we doing? How's the family? And uh, you, you, you guys doing well during this uh, wild time and, and unfortunate time for all your the baseball players because your season got cut short? Oh, yeah, we're doing great, man. Everybody's healthy, fortunately. Um, we're just trying to stay busy, um, keep the to-do list as small as possible. It just <laughs> continues to keep going for some reason. I don't know, um, at least the stuff around the house. But, um, you know, we've definitely had a chance to stay busy, uh, wrapping up the season, wrapping up the stuff um, with our guys, and then just trying to navigate what's going on with the NCAA and uh, the, the information that continues to come out. You guys were starting to play good ball right when this thing ended. You'd won four out of five. Uh, you got off to a bit of a slow start because the bats were quiet. Lost a bunch of one-run games. But uh, you were starting to play well. What, what was that uh, at the time? Uh, was it a memorable final meeting? Uh, a goodbye? Oh, can you give us a little insight on what that was like with your squad? I don't know if it was necessarily a goodbye. Um, we had a really good week. Um you know, we were, we were playing well. We were really starting to click on on all cylinders. Uh, we pitched all year. We played really good defense, and the bats really started to come, and the lineup started to click, and we were, you know, we were starting to do some damage throughout the lineup. And um, that game that we played on Wednesday against Yale uh, was pretty special. I mean, we found out right before the game that their season was over, but it never really triggered in our minds that that could be us. And they – um you know, they threw a lot of Yale threw a lot of quality quality arms at us and kind of just threw eight, nine different guys at us and made it difficult for our guys. But once they got into a rhythm, 
played extremely well. And then we practiced Thursday, um, dealing with the possibility of our opponent coming down, not coming, and delaying their trip down and trying to navigate what was going on there. Um, and then we ended up practicing on that Friday. And that's when the news dropped and season was canceled. And it was not an easy conversation. I mean, it was a good day to have everybody back on the field. And we kind of, we, we inter-squatted. The whole idea was we were going to try and keep everybody on rhythm, um, on, on schedule. And um, it just kind of, in the middle of that practice is when the news dropped and the delivery of that message to the guys was tough. Um, but uh, these guys handled it extremely well. And uh, I think they had a good weekend before everybody just kind of scattered. And then it was just trying to protect them, protect these guys from themselves of, you know, hanging out together and go home and just try to isolate as much as you can. Coach, obviously, you know, th- with those conversations, I mean, I-, I can't imagine having to tell your guys that you can't play anymore because of something that's out of your control, you know. And w- can you kind of take us through, I mean, I don't, I don't, we don't need to hear the, the speech that you gave, but, like, what, what was the reaction from your players? Was it more of, was it frustration? Um, was it confusion? Was it disbelief? Like, what was the reaction when you, when you told your players that they're not playing baseball this season? It was empty. Yeah, that's probably the best way to explain it. It's just it just left an empty void uh, that you can't really explain. You can't um, you can't make it the the actual event of not being able to play and having the season end at game eighteen. Um, basically, you're thirty percent of the season in, and conferences the conference schedules approaching. Um, you know, and for for us, we had quite a few seniors, and the reality that potentially this could be their last time. Uh, in a dolphin uniform, and have it in so abruptly, it was it, it left a very empty feeling. Um, but then when the NCAA came out and gave, um, they gave a little hit early, and then when they they made the final decision to just give everybody that year back, um, it was huge, and it did give a sense of relief for these guys of, okay, we can't do what we want to do right now, but this isn't the end. Um, and for our guys, I mean, our guys love the game; they're hungry. They want to be on the field as long as they can possibly be and play. Um, and our guys are extremely excited about the opportunity to come back. Well, how many do you think will come back? To be determined still. Um, you know, I've been talking to quite a few of them and letting them know what the, the landscape of, of coming back means and what it looks like. And they're all extremely excited about being a part of the program. Um, but honestly, I think if they all could do it, they would. Um, our guys, they love being in our program. Um, they love being in that a part of the brotherhood and in that locker room and on the field competing with each other. And I think part of it is the draft's going to be an issue, whether it's a five-round draft or a ten-round draft or what are they going to do as an undrafted free – what are they going to do with the free agents? You know, how many how many free agents are each, each of these organizations going to sign? Um, shoot, man, we could have everybody back or we could have just a handful back. Mm-hmm. So really – there's a lot to be determined, but if I think everybody could, everybody would come back. Coach, I mean, you know, let's say that everyone comes back. I mean, how does that affect your recruiting in high school then? I mean, you know, you only probably get so many scholarships. I mean, will that affect how you go about recruiting high school athletes? Well, we're going we're gonna to kind of get a feel for what the roster looks like to begin with. But the best thing that I can possibly do with each one of these guys is just be honest and let them know what the situation is, what the depth chart looks like. Uh, and what this new world that we're entering into uh, could potentially look like for each one of our guys. 
Um, each one of our guys want to be a part of our program for a specific reason. And we've obviously, they've, they've anchored, there's something anchored inside of them that, re- that they've realized that they want to be a Dolphin. And we're going to do whatever we can to make sure that they can get that opportunity to be a Dolphin and compete in our uniform. Um, you know, but it's, look, there's a lot of communication, a lot of conversations that have to be had. And it's, um, as long as, I think as long as you treat people fairly and let them know honestly what's going on, um, I think we'll end up on the right side of things. It's Fins Up Friday on Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 as we celebrate local sports. And today we're celebrating Jacksonville University's athletic department. Chris Hayes, uh, baseball coach at JU, is joining us. Uh, Brent Martineau, Austin Lane, here on a Friday as we, we get into the weekend in just a few minutes. Uh, you know, you mentioned people want to be a part of the program. They'd love to come back if everything works out, all those things. And, uh, man, when Chris Hayes says it, mm-hmm. he has built it. And Chris Hayes is Jacksonville, a Jacksonville guy, JU guy. Someday, by the way, I'd like you to share all the dirt on uh, Hurley and Billy Butler, especially Hurley from the Wilson days, uh, if you don't mind. I might need some ammunition down the road on him. Uh, but, uh, you know, you had an idea when you got this job of what kind of player you wanted, what kind of team you wanted. And that's been crystal clear. I think you stated it. I was at your introductory press conference, and I remember you stating it. But, man, you have lived that, and maybe quicker than at least I would anticipate with all the success that you've had. Uh, How about from your standpoint? Have you been able to follow through on that vision almost to a T, and has it happened quicker than maybe you even expected? Uh, uh, Yeah. I mean, look, it's been a great ride, and it really has. This has been been awesome getting, getting this program up and running the way it can be. Um, the way to, to play the style of game that can make people, no matter who's in the other dugout, um, can make that opponent extremely uncomfortable. And, you know, we're going to play a clean, aggressive style um, that never really quits. And, you know, we're going to recruit that kid, and we're going to find that kid that really has that type of personality. Um, you know, is it have we achieved what my vision is? No. I mean, we've still got a long way to go. We've still got a lot of work to do. Um you know, but have we done it? Have we have we approached it? Have we scratched the surface? Yeah. I mean, I'm look on any given day. I'm extremely proud of those kids on the field wearing our uniform, just because of who they are and what they've been through to get to that point. These guys earn every opportunity that they get, and they earn that opportunity on the field. And for them to compete the way they do, um, you know, there is some satisfaction there. But are we even close to being where we we think we can go? No. Yeah, that's um, awesome. I think I think we can take another step. Yeah, and I think so too. I, I get it from uh from the on the field standpoint, the wins, losses, the NCAA tournament, all those kind of things. But I think you've you've uh you kind of put it in place, and now obviously just got got to get more W's, and and hopefully the rest takes care of itself. Uh, Chris Hayes, baseball coach at Jacksonville University, with us on Action Sports Jacks on ESPN six ninety. A couple things you got. Daniel Murphy obviously is the headline guy from Jacksonville University. Played ball at JU, played at Inglewood, and and now look at him a decade in, uh, all star. What he did in the NLCS, uh, you know. I still think it's just one of the sweetest swings in baseball, and he's still going with the Colorado Rockies. So he's very much celebrated. But you've got a group of guys now, Chris, that just recently played at JU, led by Austin Hayes, that we could be seeing some Dolphins in the big leagues pretty soon, right? Yeah, kind of the, the fruits of the labor of the program and these guys. Um, you know, Austin Hayes, Mike Ballman, uh, two guys most recently 
that have gone inside the top 100 picks in the draft. And they've, you know, Austin was actually the first guy in the big leagues out of that draft class in 16. Um, and Mike Bauman was the year right behind him, and he was pitcher of the year in the Orioles organization. Um, those two guys, uh, tremendous talent, but unbelievable people and unbelievable work ethics. I mean, their talent alone doesn't get them where they are. And those guys are on the cusp, and I wouldn't be surprised if those guys play a long time. Um, they, they can do some things that are pretty special on the field. You know, and Murph is, I mean, I can't say enough positives and enough, enough, I can't have enough, I show enough gratitude for Daniel Murphy and his family. I mean, that guy, that guy doesn't have to be as connected as he is to our program. He doesn't have to do the things that he does for our community in Jacksonville. Um, that guy's as humble as the day is long. And he's got a great heart. He's got a great mind and he's got a beautiful swing. Um, <laughs> and he's just taking advantage of it and maximizing it. But guys, look, those guys that are right on the cusp of, you know, getting the big leagues. You know, Alex McCray is up there. He's a guy that played for us a couple of years ago, was with the Pirates, now he's with the White Sox. And, but Connor Maribel's right on the doorstep. He's right there. I mean, he was invited to big league camp, and um, he's as good a hitter. Talking about another left-hand, sweet left-handed swing um, local guy that, you know, it's just been awesome to watch him grow. Uh, he's a guy that, that could do stuff. And then, you know, I mean, with Camacho, Angel Camacho that just came through, and Zach Bryant, some of these other guys, there's there's their professional baseball's littered with dolphins and um I just hope to see you know continue to continue to get those guys in there um but it'll be fun to watch those guys play yeah it's very cool and by the way you got a good uh local recruiting class coming up not only for next year but the years after uh, with some really good young talent uh that the JU Dolphins have been able to scoop up on the baseball side with early commitments uh let's leave you with this you played one of the good things about what you're able to do with all these guys that go pro is relate and share with them what you went through. You played five years in the minors. You got to have a minor league story for us, man. I mean, you got something. I mean, what do you tell? What do you when when, when you know maybe later tonight? You know, sitting around oh, the fire goodness. pit or something. I mean, what's, what, 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 what story do you lean on? And Austin can relate a lot of these stories. You can't talk about. You, know, <laughs> you better believe it, man. Um, we got a drop button. <laughs> It's only on an eight-second delay. <laughs> I mean, I can draw it out long enough. Hey, how, how, uh, how, how tough was the road? Then? How about that? Uh, as in the minors, was it fun? Was it tiresome? I loved it. No, I mean, you're, you're a professional baseball player. All you do is you wake up. Sometimes you wake up before noon. Most of the time you don't. Um, <laughs> but, you, you know, you find yourself what you call breakfast, but it's actually some sort of lunch. And um, you get to the yard and, you, you know, you hang out in the locker room for – for a couple hours and you do your work and then you play your game and then it's 10:30 and you figure out where you're going to eat and do whatever else you're going to do that night. And then you, then it's, it's groundhog day over and over and over again. And it's, um, but you're committed, you're 100% committed to your craft. And it's unbelievable. If you're a baseball, like you got to love the game. If you don't love the game, if you don't love the work, if you don't love the preparation, it'll eat you alive. Um, Cause it's hard. I mean, the trial, you know, driving, Playing a game at you know at seven o'clock and getting on a bus at eleven and driving ten hours eleven hours and you you wake up in the next place and the you know it's sunlight you know it's the sun's out um, you know and and then you got to wake up and you got to play that night um, you're not traveling luxuriously um, you're you know those charter buses are okay and you got to find. You know, but a lot of guys have to share seats because there's just not enough seats for everybody on the on the roster, and um, it's 
It's not luxurious by any means, but man, if you love the game, uh, there's nothing better. And, uh, you know, and that's why I think everybody's the goal is not the goal isn't necessarily to play professional baseball. The goal is to get to the big leagues. But everybody's so appreciative of, of the opportunity to play pro ball. Yeah, very cool. Uh, awesome. Good stuff. Uh, Chris Hayes, baseball coach. you got a lot of guys making those road trips uh, soon enough wearing that JU Dolphin hat uh, or, or certainly did wear the uniform at one time or another. Hope your family's uh, doing well. Be well and, and can't wait to see baseball uh, sometime down the road in the near future. I do want to – we've got like 30 seconds. I wanted to celebrate some of the other programs like uh, men's and women's golf and Mike Blackburn and what he's been able to do. And I don't want to leave this guy out. Because have you guys on campus lost how, how, track of how many titles and, and trophies that uh, Ron Grigg has won in track and field and cross country and everywhere else? It's impossible to, to lose track because he reminds us almost every time we're in a meeting together. Um, like a style. You know, but he is definitely the big dog on campus. I mean, my man, and he earns, he has earned it. That guy has done an unbelievable job. Um, and he's done as good a job as anybody on campus in the entire history of Jacksonville University. I mean, that guy is... He's phenomenal. He puts a great product out there. Coach, his program might be one of the most underrated programs, like, you know, because people don't talk track and field a lot, sure. but maybe yeah. in the state of Florida, I mean, how much success they've had, and maybe even up there in the country. Uh, but Ron yeah, Gray's done an unbelievable job. Yeah, it's definitely one of those. He doesn't get enough notoriety. He really doesn't. And But in the track and field community, those guys are not overlooked. I can promise you that. People yeah. know who he is, and they know who this program is. It's just you know, overall, I can't get overlooked, but he, he deserves every accolade he gets. Hey, thanks for the gear, man. Appreciate it, and uh, we'll talk soon. Fellas, appreciate it, man. All right, that's Chris thanks, Hayes, coach. baseball coach. Thanks to Tony Jasek for coming on men's basketball. Also, Alex Ricker-Gilbert, uh, the athletic director for Jacksonville University. It was Fins Up Friday here as we celebrate another local team and teams in college. And next week, we'll at least have the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp and working on another. I want to get our calendar straight, but the Jumbo Shrimp will be part of next week's local sports celebration. All right, man, have a good weekend. You too, man. Yeah, just an, isn't every day Friday? Pretty much, man. That's, a, that's how approaching. <laughs> My life the, right only, now. the only way I know it's the weekend is we don't do a radio show. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but make sure you watch Action Sports Jacks primetime on the TV side, 1030 on Fox 30, 1130 on CBS 47. Saturday and Sunday, we are going in studio for those half-hour shows, and we continue to get you ready for the NFL draft and then some on the TV side. And again, check out ESPN690.com for our virtual food drive. Uh, for feeding Northeast Florida. Thanks to all the guests all week long. Thanks to Coos. Have a good weekend, everybody, and we'll see you on TV as well. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.